available in more homes than the Pac-12 Network. We are the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online. And here he goes, Miles Jack! And I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com. Liner, going to try to sneak it ahead. Touchdown, SC! We are the Podcast of Champions. Welcome, everybody, back to the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 247 Sports Network. And I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com, the USC site on the 247 Sports Network. And we are the Podcast of Champions, at least for now. We might change it to something else. (laughs) Champions is not... It's hard to describe us the the fact twelve as champions right now, at least in football. But we're gonna we're gonna plow forward and still call ourselves the podcast of champions for now. We had some great suggestions uh, on Twitter. Uh, if you want to tweet us at Pac twelve podcast of what we should call, Dave had some really snarky names. Maybe we'll discuss that a little bit. Our website is pack twelve podcast dot com. Uh, if you want to email us, pack twelve podcast at gmail dot com, and our voicemail line. It's uh we didn't get any calls, Dave, over the uh over the break of the the terrible bowl performance, but 641-715-3900, extension seven three four nine seven two. If you want to call and rant a little bit, um you've been ranting on Twitter. If you want to rant on our voicemail line, we'd love to play it for you. Things should slow down a little bit after this week because we got a lot of we got a lot to get to today, Dave. There's so much so much news in the Pac twelve. There's so much news beyond just this being the conference of like not very good. The conference of like technically power five. I, I thought. I, I thought. I thought the podcast of Smegma. I thought that was my finest moment. That was good because it was POS. Is POS is yeah. the, You know that's that's really right. good. It's a very vulgar word, and then it also works out to us being a piece of you know <laughs> the podcast of parody. I like kind of like that. There's there's you know there's some good ones. Uh, it's just hard. It's hard for me to say. The words podcast of champions. Now the podcast, we're still champions. Just the conference that we cover. Maybe we should switch to another one. I don't know. But the maybe, conference it's just, we... maybe it's just the podcast by champions. Yeah, I like that. The podcast. <laughs> the podcast... PBC instead of the POC. By champions for champions, not apparently about <laughs> champions. <laughs> <laughs> the podcast of tryhards. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, there's a ton of news. We should stop dilly dallying and just get right to it's it. Right into uh, the. Uh breaking news um arizona fired rich rodriguez and i am still to this moment and this is what we're like two three days after this now not entirely clear on what exactly happened because they claim it was for on-field performance but then in the like basically as the statement's coming out it's all about how rich rod you know was leading this culture of of misogyny and and sexual harassment and all this other stuff and it's just i i don't i don't really know what to make heads or tails of it i i I feel like arizona might be trying to cover its butt a little bit by saying it's for on-field performance but i don't have a great feel for this what's your take on it so far well you mean arizona state right they fired their no arizona did too Mm -hmm. oh oh, hold on let me read up on this real quick and i'm like Yeah, man, that's that is nutty. And uh so this was the first major firing after the early signing period. So now there's like rumors of I think Arizona signed sixteen guys. So you know, there's I, I saw some tweets and a story about 
you know, several of them want, or, or at least a few of them wanted to get out of the letter of intent. And then the, you know, Arizona is trying to say, Hey, be patient. So this, this, that's a whole can of worms, obviously, as far as like what's going on there, I, everything I've read, it just doesn't seem like Rich Rod comes off as a very good person. He had a statement right away where he said, every, you know, everything was false except, yeah, I cheated on my wife. Um, you know, they had their, their circle of trust or whatever, the triangle of trust. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's so much just icky, like saying title nine doesn't exist. Um, there's just some bad, bad stuff. Rich Rod's son was tweeting out some stuff about that. The woman recommended her sister to take over her job. So how bad could it have been? I mean, it's just nothing feels good about this, um, at all. And it's hard to kind of feel like, oh yeah, it was. It was definitely this or it was definitely that. It just seems like nobody wins in this situation. No, and I, I've never heard, like, wonderful things about Rich Rod. Um, I think he's a little bit more well-liked than, you know, the other Arizona coach who was fired, Todd Graham, who it seems <laughs> like virtually no one in coaching likes. But I, I, I never heard great things about Rich Rod, but I didn't, I didn't see this bubbling up. Um, and, you know, it, it is interesting from a timing perspective with um, the early signing period because – there, there were some reports that Arizona knew about this before the signing period. Um, and, you know, if this decision was truly based off of on-field performance and the bowl game basically didn't matter, like, so let's say that that whole storyline is correct. Did they just maintain him to sign that class then? I, yeah, it's hard to say. Like, is that what it was? Did they, I mean, they knew, but they didn't want to do anything or, you know, and then there's lawyers involved. The timing's weird. Everything just it just feels weird, David. I I don't it's it's hard to like kind of grasp like, hey, what to make of this. And I feel like as time goes by, we'll kind of learn a little bit more. And there's some really good reporters that have been uh putting out some stories, but there, you know, you can tell sources on the, the Richrod side, some will come out kind of in favor of him and his crew, and then sources on the other side, you know, bad stories come out there. It, I don't know. It's but timing wise, yeah, it's like you know there was an athletic director. There was some decisions being made, and I think recruiting might have been involved. That there's a lot of things that seem to be involved, um, but man, it's just it, it's just nuts. Yeah, and this is now the third kind of bizarre coaching change in the Pac-12 this year. Um, we'll file the Jim Mora firing under relatively normal, even though they fired him before the final game of the year, and but that was relatively normal by any standards. Gary Anderson leaves Oregon State just mid-season, like, just like, nah, I'm done, I'm out. Then you've got Todd Graham getting fired after what was, like, demonstrably a fine and good season for ASU, and now you have Rich Rod getting fired, like, at just one of the weirder times to fire a coach. It's just crazy. Crazy, yeah, the, crazy like, times in the Pac-12. The, uh, you know, like, the the Oregon stuff is not, you know, if you're, you're going to take a job at Florida State, you know. Yeah, like yeah, that's, that's, that's not weird it's after a year but it's not weird yeah i mean after the year part's a little bit weird i guess but not you know there's it's just been it's just been bizarre and then with you know couple that with the worst bowl record in uh fbs any conference history one and eight in bowl games and it's uh it's been a rough it's been a rough holiday hey Ryan, Ryan, you know what i take from that nine teams made a bowl game all right <laughs> <laughs> we're the we're the podcast of tryhards, and I want you to celebrate that. I went to um, so you know trying to gather because there's a lot of news, and in, in, uh, you know, I apologize we didn't get to do a show. Well, I guess we, you know this is this week, but you know, it was like the 
I've been on the road for two weeks yeah. and everything. Um, we were going to do one earlier in the week, and then Dave had something come up too. But uh, I was down in San Antonio for the uh, Army All-American Bowl practices. So it's been kind of hard to do stuff. But I'm back in studio now. It's, it's fine. I got to sleep in my bed for the first time in a long time last night. But I went to the Pac-12 uh, webpage and went to the football area. And the first story at the top is like, not. it says nine Pac-12 teams make bowl games. I'm like, that's still the lead story? Like, oh, my God. We have I to love that that's like the snark I jumped to without knowing that. <laughs> and that's like the thing they're actually trying to promote. It's great. It's great. I've got instincts for this BS. Um, yeah, it's it's crazy. Um, so uh, it looks like there are a few coaching candidates for Arizona at this point. Like Kevin Sumlin is, uh, is a name being mentioned. I think Mark Helfrich is another name being mentioned. So – both of those would be interesting. I think someone would certainly um, – uh, that's an upgrade, I think, over Richrod, right? I think someone would be a good hire. I mean, they're, you know, I, I think the Pac-12 needs some some name, some name recognition and some, you know, powerful coaches. I think he certainly would, would fit that bill. I thought, you know, he would be a great fit at Arizona State. Um, you know, if he goes into Arizona, I think that would be a good one. I think Jason Shear has been uh, doing a really good job. Uh, covering, I think he might actually broke the firing too. Uh, apologize if that was not the case, but I thought, I think he did. And then I, I think we should have him on, like we had Chris Cartman on, who did a great job breaking things down with the whole, uh, Herm Edwards stuff. Um, either after they hire someone or even before, maybe next week we could get Jason on because I, I think he's been all over this. Yeah. Let's get Jason on next week to talk, uh, to talk some crazy coaching search. Um, so we also got to talk, um, guys leaving early for the nfl yeah that's that's coming down um some obvious names left already uh josh rosen sam darnold ronald jones harrison phillips um bryce love hasn't announced yet as of this recording on friday january 5th um but ryan nolf morgan state what do you think about that one um yeah i mean with all the coaching changes and everything uh it's you know, I think it was kind of expected. You know, I love seeing him in the Pac-12. He's, you know, he's one of your favorite players to watch and everything. Um, that's you get to watch it. You know, well, we watch more Oregon State than you anyone really should. Uh, he's like one of those. <laughs> he's one of the things that makes it feel better when you're watching a game like that. You know, um, but yeah, that I mean, I you'd like you you want Oregon State to take that next step, and it you know if you get a guy like that, at least it helps. Um, but yeah. So I don't know. What, what do you think? It's I, I feel bad for the Oregon State fans, but you know, for him, for Ryan Nall, I think he'll he'll do all right. He's you know he's a big, strong guy. He could. Yeah. Uh, I think he'll land on an NFL team. Yeah, I think I think he will, and I think it's not like his stock would have changed too much coming out next year. I think it's you know there's a few things playing in the coaching change stuff. Obviously, he's a running back, and you know there's a real hit count on running backs in terms of you know just how many you can take at whatever level. So you might as well get some money for it. Um, and he was also dinged up this year um, for, and I could be wrong, but I think the first like kind of major time of his career where he's really had some injuries. So it might be the kind of thing where he's thinking, nah, I don't, I, I don't really want to take these hits to college level anymore. I want to see if I can get some money for this or else move on. Um, so yeah, I think it makes sense. I don't know. I don't know enough about the NFL draft to speculate about his draft stock. Um, I know running backs aren't as valued as they used to be at the NFL level because it's seen as kind of an interchangeable position where there's not, necessarily as much long-term value as people once thought um but yeah i mean i think he could make a roster we've liked him for a long time he runs with some power he's got 
good hands out of the backfield. He can do a lot of different things for a guy who is a, a bigger-ish back, and I know a lot of NFL teams kind of covet that. So, yeah, I think I think he'll find a role. Yeah. Um, so Harrison Phillips, obviously a huge name. Uh, Stanford. He, I think he liked. I tweeted like Stanford stud. You know, going to the NFL from our Pac-12 podcast account. I think he liked it, so that was nice. Because um, he is a stud. I mean, he was. You know, that, that's a, that's a Stanford front that doesn't play a lot of dudes. So like the guys that play just play the whole game and. Um, for whatever they never seem to get hurt, and uh, he just seems to you know be a stud there. So that's going to be a you know big shoes to fill. Um, Pacific Northwest guys, uh, Hercules Mataafa, man, sucks that he's not going to be in the Pac-12 anymore. So from Washington State, he's moving on. And Vita Bay, uh so he's from Washington, he's moving on as well. Three hundred forty pound athletic guy, but but Ryan, yeah, top top ten quarterback in the Pac-12, <laughs> Jake Browning is coming back for another go round. He is. Um, someone tweeted me. I think you liked it. Someone tweeted me like your thoughts, like that uh, Jake Browning is coming back. I was like, was he going to retire? <laughs> was he? What, what was he doing? Was he going to join the Peace Corps? What was going to go on? <laughs> um, I know we're we're so mean, but uh, we are. We're very mean. It's got to be. But yeah, he is coming back. So that's. I mean, some stability uh, there at Washington uh, on the offensive side. Vita Vey is a stud. I think he's going to show out really well. Yeah. For such a huge dude to move the way he does is impressive. He'll be like a combine guy because they're going to be like, yeah. dude, 340 pounds. I don't know how strong he is. Like, he'll probably lift a lot, but like when he, the, the, this, what he'll run, like the 40 and some of his shuttle time. Uh, like and stuff. the shuttle stuff, uh, like does some three cone drill and some crazy time. It's going to be fun. And then we're like, dude, no one at 340 pounds does that. So, um, yeah. So I think that's about all the. The major players that have declared at this point, there's still um, some people that are waiting. I think uh, Joey Kaufman just broke that Port Augustine for, you know, outside linebacker for USC is coming back, but he was hurt the whole year. So, I, I mean, that's not really much of a surprise. Um, who else? Who else were we waiting on? So, Bryce Love. Um, Bryce Love's probably the big one I'm thinking about. Um, I, I'm sure USC. I mean, Deontay Burnett is he doing anything? Do you know? There's a few other guys at USC, like Yvonne Marshall, De- Deontay Burnett. Um, uh, who else? There, I mean, there's a couple other, but I, I, I think most of them are end up. Uh, oh, uh, Rasheem Green, the defensive lineman. Like he, he's might probably go. likely to leave, right? Yeah, I think he's more likely to go. Yvonne Marshall like wanted to go after three years, but just hadn't performed all that well at cornerback, but. We had heard some rumblings. Maybe when he switches to safety next year, he'll have a better chance. Yeah, but we had heard some rumblings that he was actually going to going to leave. So I don't know. You, there's always like a one or two USC guys that shouldn't leave, but they end up leaving anyway, and then they don't get drafted and whatever. But um, and UCLA is also losing uh, Jordan Lasley and Colton Miller. Um, Lasley makes sense. He's had, um, I mean, he had a really impressive year, but he also um, has like occasional off-field issues. I'm not going to call say he has off-field issues, but he has occasional things with like just maturation and all that stuff that, yeah, he could stay and show that, but he's shown enough on the field and those questions are still going to be around. So why not go and see if he can, you know, impress some people in, in interviews. I think he's going to be, I, I think he's going to show out really well at the combine and we'll see where he ends up. And then Colton Miller, that one, I, I don't know enough about it, but that one seems somewhat inexplicable to me. Um, I didn't uh, – Pro Football Focus had him grading out pretty well. Um, whenever I focused in on him, I didn't see all that much that I found super impressive, but um, I, those guys know a lot more than I do. So um, he'll uh, 
he was UCLA's left tackle this year, so he'll move on as well. There, um, so there's some assistant coaching moves besides the you know the the big stuff we talked about. One that's interesting is Gary Anderson is back in Utah, so he's what is he like the assistant associate head coach or one of those kind of roles? Yeah, so. associate head coach and like I think it's just general defensive assistant. So I think he's that tenth coach for Utah. Yeah, um, which is you know you can if you're going to bring in a tenth coach and it's a former uh, Pac-12. Um, head coach, I'm like okay, that's pretty cool. You know, that's that's not bad. I'm, some people are going to like promote graduate assistants, and other people are going to bring in former head coaches. So I, I like the move. Yeah, I think, it, and he probably has to. I'm sure he has to take a year to rehab if he wants another head coaching job after quitting midseason. So, you know, I'm sure he'll have to rehab his image for a couple years. Um, and you know, why not do it at Utah where he can, you know find his comfort zone again so yeah that makes total sense to me and it's obviously a, a huge boon for utah to get that kind of experience on staff um so colorado hired uh kurt roper as a quarterback coach i don't really know much about him i don't do you know much about him or i know nothing about kurt roper okay um so there's that there is let's see <laughs> Yeah, I, I think so, he he was uh, i was reading about him earlier he's like he was like the south carolina guy right I think so, yeah. yeah. Um, they have a story up on these, like he stresses mental toughness for his quarterbacks. Um, I, I would say one concern for me there is that he was Florida's OC, followed by a Cleveland Browns offensive analyst, followed by South Carolina. I don't think any of those teams have been known for being particularly good, A, or uh, particularly good at offense, B, or yeah. particularly good at playing the quarterback position. So <laughs> we'll see about that. Uh, Dante Williams, uh, he's now the outside linebackers coach. Ooh. For the Ducks, um, so he's a name that you know we've seen in the Pac-12 at Arizona. Then he moved on to Nebraska. Really known for recruiting prowess, and uh, I know like fans on the USC, mess- you know, on our message boards, um, we're hoping maybe USC could bring him in. Um, USC doesn't even making any moves right now, which is really upsetting the fan base. But he's a name I thought was a you know a, a, a good guy to bring in, especially with that tenth assistant kind of potential. Um, he's a guy that can help you recruit. So I, I think it's a pretty good move from Oregon. Yeah, I think so too. I think it's interesting outside linebackers, but um, they're, they're going to have one of the top recruiting staffs in the Pac-12, I think, with Dante Williams added to that group that was already there. I mean, that is a that is a really, really good recruiting staff. Now, I don't... Uh, stashing a guy who... Uh, like who's not particularly a great coach you can stash them sometimes on like special teams or like i don't know like a tight ends coach linebacker seems tough um that seems like one where it's kind of tough to stash a guy who's you know not necessarily equipped for that position and he's been i think a db coach and i don't i think he was a db when he played too so i'm not i don't know about that one from a coaching perspective but certainly a great recruiting hire and let's see, Arizona State made a couple moves. So Herm Edwards, uh, Tony White was out of the defensive staff, and uh, Charlie Fisher is the wide receiver coach. Um, the picture of him looks like a middle-aged white guy, which don't really think wide receiver coach. But I don't here. Let me let me click on and see what more about these guys. I don't know anything about them. Um, I was just looking at some headlines. I thought did you, it's a, he uh, uh, t- Tony White's a former UCLA Bruin. Oh, yes. Okay. 30 years coaching experience. He was the head coach at Western Illinois. Uh, and he's now the. Okay. So you got a former head coach as your wide receiver coach. I, I'll take that. I like that. 
Um, I, I bet everyone out there likes to listen to this real time research that we're producing. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, there's ton of there's some news stuff that's going on. I don't know. There's, yeah, it's, it's like oh yeah, oh things. yeah. I, you know, we thought Herm Edwards would bring in a whole bunch of ESPN analysts, so you know, it's good. You know, bring in some, some <laughs> yeah. actual coaches and stuff. Oh, <laughs> uh, it's good. It's good. Sweet. Uh, let's see. Was there any other like news that we need? Let me see. I mean, so what do you think of Darnold's decision? Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think him and Rosen are both going to be like top five picks, and you know, everyone has different mock drafts, and I think they're all most of them are full of crap. But you know, for the, you you hear enough rumblings that those two guys are going to be really high picks. It's hard to argue with like twenty million dollars or whatever you're going to get. We had been hearing that there was a, a decent chance he would come back, um, and then. I, I, you know, I think the Cotton Bowl had some impact on it. I mean, he got sacked eight times in that game. He got sacked like six times all of last year. So that I, I think some of it had an impact. Um, you know, I don't know how close he was to Tyson Helton, who ended up leaving for Tennessee. But my guess is that, you know, he felt like coming back for a year wasn't necessarily going to up his game. And, and while I think Josh Rosen's maybe a little bit more like NFL ready, uh, there's a lot of upside with Sam Darnold too, and he can get you know probably better coaching in the NFL and and kind of develop his game that way. You know, either whoever ends up going to the Browns, I mean, it kind of sucks, but um, you kind of hope maybe it's not you. But if he can get on a you know maybe a team that doesn't necessarily need him to come in right away, I think he'd be in a better a better spot. But not you know not super surprised, but I I was hearing more rumblings that he was leaning towards staying, and I, I just think after the you know how everything just kind of fell apart in the in the cotton bowl, it was probably easier to go. Yeah. How much of his decision do you think was affected by the fact that this year as a whole was probably more of a struggle for him than last year? I mean, do you, do you think he sees it as a developmental move, like going to the NFL and get some, you know, if he has to sit for a couple of years, but get some NFL coaching while he's sitting instead of, you know, staying at USC and maybe not progressing a whole bunch again next year. I kind of think so. And I, you know, I got in a little bit of a Twitter, not war, but just, you know, a little bit of a rampage. We, we like to do this and I don't know why I enjoy it so much. Sometimes. <laughs> no, it's, our, it's our favorite thing in the world. But uh, like Brian Stump, who I respect and, uh, you know, does a great job over at student sports was disagreeing with me. So we were kind of going back and forth. Um, I was assessing that or, or arguing that Sam Darnold regressed during his sophomore campaign. I don't know what you think about it, but um you know, I think there's a lot of factors, you know, losing some offensive linemen and stuff. But USC returned. Every guy on the offensive line had starting experience. I know they lost some, like, regular starters, but they brought a bunch of guys back. People thought the line would actually be better heading into the season, more athletic. Um, yeah, you know, losing Juju Smith-Schuster, who's, you know, he went over a 1,000 yards, all-purpose yards as a rookie and, you know, doing all these things as a, as a young kid. I certainly having him hurt, but you know, USC held guys like Tyler Vaughn's and Michael Pittman out longer than they should have been. He had better receivers he could have thrown to. And that was, you know, part of that's on the, the coaching staff. And I think sometimes people get more film on a guy and they're, they're ready for him. So I get that there's all these other factors, but to me, he just didn't look like he was playing as well as he did as a freshman. So I was arguing that he had actually regressed and Brian Stubb was saying, you know, he would, you know, he went from like this unheralded guy to, um, you know, a top five pick. So how could you say USC didn't make him better? And, you know, I, I think USC did make him somewhat better, but when he came in as a red, as a true freshman, he was crushing it on the scout team and all the defensive coaches I talked to are like, dude, this kid's amazing. You know, he was a elite 11 guy. He was a army all American. He was a, uh, 
you know, at the opening. It wasn't like he was all that unheralded. And when he came in, he impressed everybody when he was running the scout team. So to me, it's like I think he came in a pretty talented dude. It's not like USC took this raw clay and made him into some special player. He was pretty special when he came in. And I just think he played better in 2016 overall than he did in 2017. I don't know if you feel the same way, but. No, I do. I mean, remember we were talking all off season, and I, I mean, I was I was fond of saying that I thought you know Sam Darnold was a better college quarterback than Josh Rosen, um, and that I don't think Pac-12 voters can disagree. I don't think that was the case this year. I think Rosen was a little bit better, and I think that speaks. You know, Rosen was certainly better this year than he was last year, um, and admittedly, he only played like six games last year. But um, Darnold, I thought. I, I thought he was better in 2016. I thought, and maybe some of that is teams scouted him out a little bit better this time. They kept him to the pocket more because they saw, you know, how much more effective he was, you know, rolling out versus um, kind of sitting in the pocket and playing, making the planned play. Um, but I think some of it was he, he just, you know, wasn't necessarily as great as he was the previous year. And that's not saying that he was bad this year. Um, I think he was still plenty good and, and probably a big difference for usc between being what did they end up 10 and 2 10 and 3 11 and 3 uh, yeah. 11 and 3 uh being 11 and 3 and like you know 9 and 5 um i think he was a huge huge difference in that i think if you you know stick replacement quarterback x in his place i think you're you're looking at a much worse team so i think he was better than that it's just um I, I don't think he was at that kind of magical level he was playing at in 2016 especially by the end in that rose bowl i mean i don't think we I mean, we saw that in bursts this year. I think there were right. some fourth quarters where Darnold was, wow, like super impressive. But I just don't think we saw it as consistently as we saw during that nine-game stretch in 2016. Yeah, I gotta, I'm got. i working on column two. There's some really good pro football-focused numbers I can compare last year to this year. And one of them being he was way better under pressure last year than this year. So um, so I'll, I'll, I'll get that up at some point. You guys, you, you guys can... Uh, Look, at, I don't think Josh Rosen, no, no big surprise, right? No one really thought he was going to come back. or No, I don't think anybody realistically thought so. Um, it was bandied about as a potential thing, like before Jim Mora had been fired. Like, well, if, if you know, I, I think it might have been his camp putting it out. To his credit, I think he was trying to save his coaches. He was putting it out that, um, you know, if Jed Fish and, and Jim Mora get retained, there's a really good chance I'll come back. Um but, um, no, I, I don't think this is ever a realistic thing, um, especially with the concussions this year, getting a couple of them, I think, kind of in the same vein as, like, a lot of these running backs making that decision. Like, if I'm going to get my, you know, if I'm going to get hit in the head a bunch, well, let me just go get paid for it and, and start that moving. And, you know, I think he's ready. Like, I think, obviously, there's some stuff he could still work on. Um, there's still some, you know, the occasional real head scratcher of a decision, but, um I don't think he's in any worse shape than most, you know, top five-ish quarterback picks over the last, whatever, 10 years. I think he'll be fine. Um, and we'll see if the Browns pick him. Um, yeah. We'll see who they end up picking because that's, you know, obviously the kiss of, well, not death. We're not going to get that extreme, but it's the kiss of not very good. The, the kiss uh, of badness. Yeah. Well, I mean, so Lamar Jackson declared today. So, like, yep. so Josh Rosen, Sam Darnold, Baker Mayfield, Luke Falk. Uh, Lamar Jackson, um, who else is it? What other Mason quarter? Rudolph? Mason Rudolph, right? Uh, but not Jake Browning. But not Jake Browning. Well, that that makes sense. Jake Browning's like, you know, I don't want to be like the eighth best quarterback to come no, out. No, no, no. What he doesn't want, he doesn't want to take their thunder yeah. when he gets picked by the Browns. <laughs> I get it. I think it's very humble and, and good of him. 
but there's i mean and you know way different style wise you know there's yeah. there's so it's like some gm might be like i want lamar jackson man like and uh and so it just depends and you know baker mayfield uh you know is someone like he's russell wilson or whatever you know whatever you think there's I think there might be some really interesting stuff and maybe a Rosen or Darnold slips down because some GM that wanted a quarterback likes the makeup of one of the other ones better. I mean, who knows? Like I, I think that's going to make the draft very, very interesting with all these quarterbacks in there. I mean, what would be the Cleveland Brownsiest thing to do? It's got to be like Josh Allen, right? Oh yeah. Josh Allen too. I didn't, we didn't even mention him. Holy crap. Um, it's got, it's got to be Josh Allen, right? Yeah, or but, it's that or Baker Mayfield, but it's definitely not like the ones who feel like more like sure things. Yeah, you know, I can't believe it's, we didn't mention Josh Allen. So he, so if you don't know him, so he's Wyoming's guy, six foot five, like two hundred and forty pounds or something. Just, yeah, he, he's like molded from clay, yeah. like exactly what you would project a quarterback <laughs> to look like. Um, big athlete, and so, but because I think you could, if the Browns take him. I think there's, you know, with like Carson Wentz doing so well, like, I don't know if it would be like all that Brownsy. Um, I get it. Like a lot of the NFL people have been on him from the beginning saying like, dude, this guy's great. And now so he, what's the Brownsiest thing? It's, is it taking Baker Mayfield? Is that it? Maybe. Yeah. I think, or, or I mean like Luke Falk or something. I don't know. Like, oh man, Luke Falk's not going number one. I mean, I'm I, like, yeah, I mean they're definitely going to take one of Josh Allen or Baker Mayfield. I just don't know which of those decisions is Brownsier. <laughs> I I think May, Mayfield would be. Yeah, I um, think so too. I think so too. I think it fits like kind of the Johnny Manziel thing. Yeah, it would be man. It, it was a little too close to the Manziel stuff with the crotch grab and all that. Yeah, yeah. Kind of stuff. Um, there's actually a game Monday night. I'm not. It's like an SEC championship game or something. I'm probably not going to watch. But who's uh, playing? I don't know. Like two teams are from the same conference that never have played this year, which you know totally makes sense, right? You know, like are they in the like Pac-12? They would have played miles apart. <laughs> are they like really close together? Like you could drive between them, <laughs> yeah. and actually play a game in between those two schools. Yeah, the Pac-12 would yeah. never allow that. If you're if you're good, you have to play each other like three times to make sure that you yeah. each get losses because that that would even things out a little uh, it's, bit. It's going to be so boring. It's going to be oh. so boring. This game. I'm not. I, I might not watch. I might want, you know, I never end up watching like the alternate channels, which people were saying were pretty good, like some of the stuff. But yeah, this, you know, I might watch the coach's room. Yeah, that, I might watch that just because I don't really care as much about the, Like if I want to see the game, I just want to see the game. Like I don't care about, you know, uh, I'd have to tape it. If I really, really cared, I'd have to tape it and like watch the replay. But for this, I don't really care about the game so much. It'll probably be fairly boring. And yeah, I, may, I might watch the coach's kind of room. Yeah. Um, there's okay. So one other thing I, I know we can talk about before Dave. Um, so the Pac-12 refs made a name for themselves in the bowl season again. Uh, I don't know if you got to see the Music City Bowl. I didn't get to see a lot of it, but uh, apparently a player that was like down that the referee tried to help up and he didn't want help. Uh, and the referee like initiated contact with the player and then threw the player out of the game. Um, everyone was going crazy. So this was a Kentucky player and Kentucky are like, Hey, the, they don't like the SEC refs, but like, what the hell's up with these Pac-12 refs? Like, well, basically if something happens, they have to throw a flag and they, I mean, they, and they doubled down on it. Like the pool reporter talked to the guy afterwards and, um, you know, he was like the player initiated contact, but you could watch the video and that certainly was not the case. It caused a huge ruckus and the Pac-12 seems to be backing, the referee, I, I just don't get if if that's if the Pac-12 is not going to come down and say this was wrong, 
Um, I just don't see it getting any better. They're just trying to like put things under the rug when things are horrible. And that's what happens in the, the bowl games because you get, it's a national stage and, and fan bases that actually care about their teams watch the games. They're like, Hey, what's up with these refs? They're terrible. And so this was like the, the biggest gaffe, I guess, of, of the whole bowl season. And of course it had to involve the Pac-12 refs. Yeah. Like non-biased observers, like fans of other, like a lot of members of the media who are not like, west coast base say that it's like pretty bad in the acc but that nothing really compares to the pac-12 in terms of awful refs um and that everyone else besides the acc is like demonstrably better and even the acc is probably a little bit better um it's i, I mean it's horrific the the, the two things the, the pac-12 like on a national stage this december <laughs> i mean the two things they're going to be known for is going one and eight in bowl games and having just like pure amateur hour refereeing, um, and those are the things that'll stick with people. And I, I, I don't know. I mean, it, it, it's it's part of the overall brand issue for the Pac-12. Um, and I don't know if it affects like real life things like recruiting, but I, I, I can't imagine it helps. Like when when people are just like say like a school that recruits nationally, like USC. And they're recruiting Florida, and, and Florida's, you know, kid in Florida's like one thought about you about the Pac-12 is, oh, that's that joke conference that what one and eight wasn't in the national championship <laughs> picture, and also has horrible refs. I mean, it's not a major thing, I think, in a, in a, like a recruit's eyes, but like, is that something they have to address? I mean, I think it might almost come up occasionally, right? I would think so. I mean, this is like when you're talking about parody and. You know, if it hurts teams or helps teams or whatever, it's it's a, a way for the Pac-12 to kind of create some parity by adding all these extra flag. I don't know what it is, but when you're on this national stage and you watch games, you, you watch these Pac-12 teams that get 10, 12 flags a game, get like an ACC crew, an SEC crew, and then they get three flags a game. You're like, what's going on here? Like this team was terrible with penalties all year, but now they're fine. Um, it's a problem, and it doesn't seem like the Pac-12 has wanted to address it before i think they've done some things but it's not it needs a complete overhaul and uh i, I don't think they see it as a, a big of a problem as it actually is and it's just it's one of those things like do you want to be a conference that just you know everyone's pretty good and it's fine or do you want to be you know competing on national stage you can't have these kind of second class referees uh and and be competing on national stage so i i but i just don't see any kind of sense of urgency whenever we talk to larry scott about it they talk about, yeah, we're working on things, but I don't think they are. Yeah, I don't. I, I really don't think so. And we've talked about that before. I, I, this has been an issue since I've like paid attention to Pac-10 and then Pac-12 football. I, I think like we were all like convinced there was going to be an uptick right when Larry Scott was hired, and I think there was. Like it legitimately seemed like there was some progress being made, and we can go like into the TV stuff. Like it seemed like. Oh, they're going to do this Pac-12 network. That's going to be cool. Oh, Larry Scott's going to try to expand the league to like 16 teams. This is really cool and all that kind of stuff. But all that momentum seems to have died and we seem to be in the same position, um, you know, as followers of this league that we were like, you know, 15 years ago where it just seems like a joke kind of also ran league. Um, and if anything, it's getting worse. I mean, the, the refereeing is now because of Twitter, because of all these things. It's a national joke. You've got, I mean... You've got like the glasses ref Twitter. You've got all that stuff that's just, you know, it's it's a national joke, um, and that's not something that necessarily was the case about the Pac-12. I think it was just kind of not thought of 15 years ago, but now it's like when it is thought of, it's like, ha, yeah, the Pac-12. 
Yeah, I. It's. I mean, things have to be addressed. It's uh, you know missing the playoff, horrible bowl record, terrible refereeing. I mean, I I think Larry Scott has to make a decision. Like, do they want to try to be the fifth Power Five conference? Or do they want to be Mountain West-like, you know? And it seems like we're getting closer to Mountain West than we're getting closer to Big Ten or, or SEC. And I know you don't think it's a huge deal, but I do think when you're seeing the money that's being thrown around for assistant coaches, um, holy crap, uh, was it, was it uh, Texas A&M made, they hired like Notre Dame's defensive coordinator and he's getting paid more than like 80 head coaches in the FBS? I think that's where the problem comes in. That, that TV money, that you know, there's going to be the gap is just getting wider. And if Rutgers can hire people that Washington or USC or UCLA can't because they're getting so much more money, I think that's going to just it's be even more of a problem. So it's it seems to be trending in the wrong direction, Dave. And I'm just not sure Larry Scott is someone that's willing to go to assess it, do self assessment, and go. You know what? I get where we were trying to go, but this isn't working. We need to change. And I, I just don't think he will. Yeah. yeah. I'll be honest. The rate at which the salaries for assistance is increasing, like just over the last couple of weeks, is not something I would have expected. Like Dave Aranda is getting paid, what is it, $2.5 million a year for four years, all guaranteed as a defensive coordinator? Yeah. Arizona schools can't even legally do that. Like they're, they're barred by their uh, – by their regents from even giving out longer than a two-year contract. I mean, there's like, there's systemic issues you would have to fix, like yes. that are outside of football before you could even get into the weeds of like whether or not you have enough money. Um, and I, I, I don't know. I mean, some of that is like, and I, I, I you know, I'm not going to get into the whole money thing again, but like some of it is cultural. Like LSU and Texas A&M, they can justify that. If, like, I don't know, if a public school in the Pac-12 tried to justify paying, like, a, you pay your football coach four or five million and people are like, all right, fine, I guess they'll be the highest paid. But if, like, the second highest paid employee in the state is your defensive coordinator, <laughs> I think that's going to be a hard thing to justify in, you know, states where football isn't the lifeblood of the entire state. Yeah. Like, I, I think there are some cultural differences there that, like, make it. I don't know. Like your example about Rutgers, Rutgers isn't going to do that. I mean, I don't know if the State University of New Jersey is really going to be able to justify that sort of move. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think if the goal, to your point, if the goal of the Pac-12 is to compete for national championships against these SEC schools that where football is life, um, I mean, there needs to be some sort of competitive change there. And I, I think it's, I, I think it's a cultural shift. I don't think it's just the money. Yeah. That's a part of it, but it's it's the refs. It's the it, yeah. you know, making sure your your programs aren't making joke hires like Herm Edwards because <laughs> ASU has more money than that. They didn't need to hire Herm Edwards and I, I don't know how much control or weight or anything the Pac-12 can put on that, but you can't be letting your schools make those kinds of hires. Like you've got to you've got to like provide them the resources to go find a better coach than that. It's crazy. There's a there's a college football train that's that's trucking along and uh you know ratings are good there's there's a lot of good things happening the playoff has created so much interest and the Pac-12 is like you know running beside like you know trying to catch up and it's there's decisions that were made and have been made and continue to be made 
that are not helping the Pac-12 kind of keep up with this train. And it's it's only going to get it's not getting better without major changes. It's not going to get better. This you're going to see more stuff like this. Um, and there was a lot of those bowl games that we're going to talk about here in a minute that the Pac-12 teams were favored in, you know, and lost. Um, the bowl, now the bowls don't mean everything, but it's it's you know compiled like like I think Wilner had a great piece where it's not just one and eight, but it's all the other scheduling stuff, all the the money stuff, all the the referee stuff everything together it's just not a good look for the conference like one of those things you could kind of explain away but thing after thing after event all of those things combined there's decisions being made that aren't in the best interest of Pac-12 football and that's what pays all the bills like yeah it's great to have 500 national championships and stuff but those don't make you money like you want to be a big dog you have to compete on the football level and the Pac-12 is just falling further behind uh, when it comes to that, yep, yep. Well, should we? Uh, is it, we we mentioned this a couple of times. Um, the Pac-12 went one and eight, so that's. <laughs> and someone tweeted us a great graphic like Utah and eight. It was like the Utah logo and eight um, in bowl games, and uh, Utah's the only team that won. Well, actually, that's the team we're going to talk about first. But the bigger news, maybe is that my epic comeback in our pick'em pool for the entire year. Um, the last time we talked, uh, the Pac-12 uh, was, oh, we, we were 0-0-1 as far as picking the championship game because there was the the tie. And then I think we we saw the, uh, what was the first bowl game? Boise State, Oregon. So we saw Oregon. that. We yep. both got that wrong. We thought Oregon would, would cover and, and they laid an egg. Um, but since then, uh, I picked it up, so I went six and three overall in bowls against the spread, and Dave was three and six. So is that bad? That's <laughs> you. You were trending. Uh, you're week eleven. You were zero and five. I want somebody to break down my like final like six weeks. Yeah, like, I got it. What? I got it for you right here. Okay, um, give it to me. Okay. Give it to me. I want to know how badly I closed. Okay, so we'll start for week seven. So you were two uh-huh. and four. Week eight, sure. you were three and two, a little better. Week nine, two and four. Week ten, the the best week you had in the last like couple months, four and two. Then you went zero oh and five, two, two and three, two and four, uh, and then three, six and one in the championship game and bowl game. So I I put down red. The, Hell yeah! You had a lot of red. Um, so you finished off under five hundred for the year after like you were pretty far above. I was on fire yes. after the year. You were crushing it. Uh, 40, you finished 49, 50, and 1. So we picked 100 games. That's crazy. Um, I finished 52, 47, and 1. So um, not. I don't think either one's great. It's nice to be a little bit above 500. But last year we had done really, really well, like 60% or something, like really good. And uh, this year Dave was really on fire in the beginning. I mean, he had, he had a 9-2 and two week against the spread. Um, yeah. But since then – or since like week seven or so, not not so good, Dave. It's almost like it's a crapshoot. It's not easy to pick against the spread. Um, and the Pac-12 did some weird stuff all year. There was just some weird games in the Pac-12, weird games when you know the Pac-12 played out of the conference. And you know, basically in the bowl games, I went against the Pac-12. Dave kind of went for the Pac-12, and and since the Pac-12 went one and eight, I won. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Um, this was horrendous. Horrendous. <laughs> and it's like, I don't disagree with a lot of Dave's picks. I mean, I, I could have seen the Pac-12 playing better in some of these games, but uh, they, they did not. No, you couldn't have seen it, actually, because it didn't happen. <laughs> they played horribly almost across the board in all of their bowl games, aside from the first one we're going to talk about today. So I guess we'll uh, jump in. and the, So we'd already talked about uh, Oregon and Boise State. Uh, that was a while yeah. ago. This was a while. But so the next bowl game that was played was between Utah Utes and uh, West Virginia. Yeah, so Utah won this one. Pretty darn comfortably, um, 30 to 14. Uh, Tyler Huntley uh, was back for this one um, after Troy Williams uh, played most of the, I think, the last two games of the year for Utah. Um, and Huntley wasn't like his sharpest throwing the ball, but um, his stats might not show up, but he, he showed a little bit, especially early on in this game. Uh, excuse me, especially early on in this game. Um, he, he looked kind of like what I remember seeing at the beginning of the year um, in terms of just his electricity running the ball. Um, he didn't finish with tremendous stats. I mean, it was like 25 carries for 57 yards, which included a couple of sacks. But um, he had a couple of touchdowns, threw for 165 yards. Um, and, I mean, the story for this one is that West Virginia was missing, what, they're starting quarterback, they're starting running back, and what? Two offensive linemen. Two offensive linemen. So their offense – wasn't in a good place, and I thought Utah's awful. defense played pretty well. Yeah, I, I mean, I thought the defense played pretty well. Probably their best game of the you know the last couple months of the season, but maybe they got a little bit healthier. But um, yeah, I, I, this was a very undermanned West Virginia team. Which, if I had known, I, I I probably still would have picked West Virginia because I'm wrong all the time. But whatever. No, you picked Utah. Um, hey, look at me. Yeah. So this was one. So you, this is this was like the start the bull thing. Like you got this right. This was, I picked West Virginia. And when we, if you remember the show, I mean, I was like deathly ill and I didn't do a lot of research on this. If I would have even just realized like, you know, Kyle Whittingham is 10 and one in bowl games. Like Utah plays pretty well. I think I would have picked uh, Utah on this one. And we got some crap on Twitter. You, you actually picked Utah. So I don't know why they were giving us both crap. Well, but... cause I, I think, I think your fever dream might've made this one actually wrong. Cause I remember citing that West Virginia, uh, that Utah was, f- which I thought was crazy. And I think I picked West Virginia because of that, and I think you picked Utah. So I think Are you, you might have written it down wrong during your fever dream, and you might have been at seven and two, and I might have been at two and seven. Oh my god, we have to go back and look at that. Um, uh, somebody, just somebody, fact check us. I think that's correct. Somebody else probably has a better memory. People listening oftentimes have a better memory of us than us actually saying the words coming out of our mouths. I literally was on all kinds of like you know I was in yeah like, yeah, yeah. It, was, it was bad. I'm pretty I. I, I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I'm pretty sure I picked West Virginia in this one. Okay, um, interesting. Okay, we'll go back and kind of look at that. But so Kyle Whittingham and and I'm the, I was not trying to take anything away from Utah. You know, Utah Twitter was getting mad at me because I was tweeting about this stuff. Um, but it turned you know Kyle, Kyle Whittingham is amazing in bowl games. He just does a really good job. He's now eleven and one. I mean that's not a fluke. So he does get his teams ready for these bowl games. And if I thought I picked West Virginia, I liked the West Virginia offense, but uh, when Greer went down, he, I didn't realize he wasn't going to play. He had that broken finger or something. Um, the running back decided to not play in the bowl game because of, you know, he wants to go to the NFL draft and a couple offensive line were down. I was saying, you know, it's like they, you watch the game 
And West Virginia's offense just looked nothing like it did during the season. I mean, they they had nothing going. They couldn't get first downs. And Utah's, like Dave said, Utah's defense, I thought, played really well. But it was against this, you know, undermanned team. And I I got in a fight with someone from Utah Twitter who was like, well, you didn't even mention that Utah's, like, couple cornerbacks were out or something. It's like, dude, they couldn't throw the ball at all. Like, I, you know, the secondary was was beat up a little bit for Utah. But it's it's a whole different story when you're, like, running back, quarterback, and a couple offensive linemen around. It just, you could tell it just changed what the, this wasn't the West Virginia team we saw from the other season. So I wasn't trying to take anything away from Utah, but this was a much depleted West Virginia offense that Utah jumped all over and just took advantage of. Like they had, they had nothing going on. Yeah. I mean, this wasn't a super competitive game. I mean, Utah's offense, I think Tyler Huntley's still figuring things out. I think he's going to be really good next year when he comes back and is fully healthy, but I mean, they jumped out to a 17-3 to lead, and then they just kind of hung on from there. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't like they blew them away or anything, but this wasn't competitive. I mean, West Virginia never really – it never really felt like they were, I don't know, super threatening. Um, so, yeah, I, 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 I mean, any of Utah's personnel deficiencies in this game, I think, kind of pale in comparison to West Virginia being down their starting quarterback, starting running back, and a couple of offensive linemen. Yeah, Utah didn't have a couple of corners, but West Virginia – like, even if you add their QBRs, like, let alone, like, look at any <laughs> single one. They had three guys throw balls, and they had QBRs of 7, 6.4, and 2.9. Oh, my God. <laughs> add those all together, and they don't equal Tyler Huntley's really mediocre QBR of 35.8 for this game. This right. was, they, they weren't going to throw the ball against me and Ryan, let alone whatever backup <laughs> corners that Utah has. The uh, They got the ball. West Virginia got the ball. I forget what it was, a turnover or something, like the 10, like inside the red zone. It didn't even move it an inch. Like it was – but so, you know, great job um, on the uh, on the Utah side. I remember they – I think Utah punted once, and then uh, there was a penalty on West Virginia, so – it gave him a first down, and then they got a touchdown out of it, and and then like West Virginia fumbled after that. Like it just it was like a comedy of errors. And but you have to give credit to Utah. Kyle, you know, Kyle Whittingham gets his teams ready. If a team's going to come in injured and and beaten up, they definitely jumped all over him. So um, this was we we don't want to say anything you know too negative because this was the lone win for the <laughs> for the Pac-12. Oh yeah, it's brutal. Brutal. Should we get uh, to the next one? Yeah, and uh, I definitely have to look up like what we uh, what we picked because I, I wrote the wrong the the wrong thing down apparently, or hopefully I did because that would be even better for me. Um, all right, so the next bowl game we had UCLA Bruins taking on Kansas State. Uh, Kansas State won thirty five seventeen. This was a game we both picked correctly. I think I convinced you actually on the show based off of my uh, bleak portrayal of UCLA, and we turned out right. Yes. So there we go. Maybe one of two times this yeah, entire yes. bowl season where I was right. <laughs> um, Kansas State uh, was down at halftime. UCLA was up 17-7 uh, because uh, Kansas State um, apparently didn't watch any UCLA football this year and was deciding to throw the ball a lot against UCLA. They were using like that forward pass thing. Yeah, yeah, and I know all you Pac-12 fans out there are chortling right now because, ha, <laughs> silly Kansas State. Uh, in the second half, they decided to actually run the ball, and they ended up running for 344 yards on 49 carries, four touchdowns. Um, they controlled the game in the second half, ran all over UCLA. Part of it was they made a quarterback switch. Um, they took out 
their starter, uh, put in their backup, who's a little bit faster, a little bit more explosive on the ground, and UCLA responded by making him look like Khalil Tate. Um, UCLA's offense just went completely in the tank in the second half. Um, they just uh, Devon Modster, I thought, played fine, played pretty well in the first half, and then didn't do a whole lot in the second half. Josh Rosen didn't play in the game because he had lingering uh, concussion issues from his final concussion of the year against Cal uh, in November, and he wasn't cleared for the game, so Devon Monster started, and he was fine, and I think he'll compete for the starting job next year. Uh, but UCLA couldn't run the ball, couldn't stop the run. It was the exact same story as the entire year, rinse, Ross, wash, repeat. I don't know that there was anything else to take from it. Yeah, I, I was impressed uh, by Monster, and uh, and I think you even tweeted some first-half stuff. You are like, hey, Chip Kelly's got a dude, you know? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I, I think it was funny how much better Kansas State looked uh, in the second half, you know, obviously when they were running the football more. Um thought that was a nice fake punt by UCLA. That was a nice uh, – that, That's like true. Mike Juarez with his first real contribution since arriving at UCLA, former five-star linebacker on the uh, punt team as the up man, uh, faked a punt and looked pretty good running the ball. So I, it was good. I liked what Jed Fisher was doing because it seemed like he was taking some chances and, and was – coaching like it was his last game, you know, and it, I think that sometimes coaches just like, well, I'm going to just do it the old, you know, I thought he, you know, tried some things, but just it seemed to run out of gas or whatever in the second half. It, things were working, things were rolling, and I kind of got the feeling like, you see, like, could win this game, but then, I don't know, it just kind of came crashing back down to reality. Did you feel like he could have done something different? It seemed like he had some tricks and, and, and did some things and had some momentum and it was working out pretty well, but then it just kind of hit a wall and, and nothing was working after that. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how much of it was, you know, fish. I don't know how much of it was working with a guy who's, you know, starting his, I don't know, I think this was his second game starting, Devon Modster. But, yeah, they didn't really adjust when Kansas State adjusted. Uh, Kansas State pretty clearly kind of went a little bit more aggressive, um, got up in the receivers a little bit more. Um, and it just didn't seem like UCLA had a great response to that. And I don't know if, you know, they can prepare for one game plan with Devon Modster, but maybe they didn't have you know, the juice to make an adjustment with him. I don't know. Um, but I, the offensive issue is, you know, UCLA certainly should have scored more than 17, but when you're giving up 350 yards on the ground, which is the real issue and has been all year, I mean, you're not going to win many football games. And we, we were saying at the beginning of the year um, when we were writing about UCLA that, you know, unless Josh Rosen plays a perfect game, UCLA is going to lose. And he played some perfect games this year, and so they won six games. And, you know, they won a couple of games where he didn't play perfectly, obviously. But that was kind of the test of the year is, well, can the quarterback play at about a 90% level? Because if so, then UCLA stands a pretty good chance of winning a game. But otherwise, because the defense was so atrocious all season, they're just – and so if your quarterback's, you know – backup playing his first game and he's playing fine but not fantastic yeah you're gonna you're gonna lose to a pretty good team by 18 points that's just gonna happen so uh six and seven on the season but of course you know the the really like the big winner of the coaching carousel in the pac 12 was ucla with chip kelly so that's uh that's where it starts. is jed fish now gone or is he like what's... he is he is gone he's okay. gone he's not being retained so has he landed anywhere yet or I don't think so. There was talk of him potentially getting the Missouri offensive coordinator position, but I don't know that that has happened yet. There was like some fake announcement a week or two ago that a UCLA assistant AD actually accidentally retweeted and congratulated Fish on, but I don't think that was official or even like necessarily a thing that's like imminent. So 
I mean, he should find a job. He's a he's a, a pretty good OC. Um, but you know, we'll see what shakes out with Arizona. Maybe they're in the market for an OC um, and uh, see where he lands from here. I'm sure he's going to be an up and comer on on a lot of people's lists. All right, let's. Uh, I guess we'll move on to the Foster Farms Bowl. We have Arizona Wildcats, and they were t- taking on the uh, Purdue Boilermakers. Yeah, so this is another one that kind of didn't go the way I thought. Um, so Purdue won 38-35, and it was a situation where it kind of was the opposite of what I expected because I was expecting, you know, a team from outside of the league not necessarily having a good feel for Khalil Tate and, you know, how to defend against him and that whole deal. And instead, Purdue, I mean, they seem to have one of the better plans of the season for dealing with Khalil Tate as a rusher. Um, Tate killed him through the air, uh, did a great job, five touchdowns, 17 to 26 for 300 plus yards. Um, he was, he was effective and good through the air, but they really, really limited him as a runner and Arizona was trying to run with him a lot. I mean, he had 20 carries, but only 58 yards. That was one of the better jobs of a team this year. And you got to credit Purdue for that. They've had such a massive turnaround this year under Jeff Brom, who, I mean, should be one of the hottest names in coaching right now and certainly will be if he gets Purdue to an even better record next year. Um, but yeah, Arizona just, um, uh, teams started to figure out Tate a little bit towards the end of the PAC 12 season, started to figure out how to defend him a little bit. And it didn't seem like Arizona had a super, uh, effective counterpunch to it. Um, and, uh, yeah, he, he, he wasn't quite as effective in, November as he was in October and certainly not as effective in this game as he was in uh, November or in October. But um, yeah, I mean, it, Purdue, uh, Purdue's a really well-coached team and uh, yeah, they, they figured out, they figured out a little bit of what makes this Arizona offense tick. And it was, it was a fun game, fun game to watch, yeah. but um, yeah, Purdue, uh, Purdue did the PAC 12 dirty. I'm a, I'm a big Jeff Brom fan. I think that's why I, I picked him in this one. I uh, obviously didn't know that Rich Rod was going to be fired. And I, th- this might be the game I paid the most attention to because I watched it on a plane like I was flying back. And uh, so there's basically nothing else. Like I'm just in a seat. Like all I'm doing is watching. And I took a lot of notes. So I'll, I'll give you a few notes here. Um, so I was a little worried at the beginning. I forgot that Nick Holt was the defensive coordinator at Purdue. <laughs> so, but he ended up forcing like a couple of three and outs for Arizona right away. Um, Purdue was trying some trick plays. They had a... Uh, wide open trick play early on, and the receiver like came up lame or something. <laughs> he fell down, like oh. And when you're you know you're kind of rooting there because you know I picked Purdue, so you're kind of watching that kind of closely. But they tried a bunch of stuff. Um, they end up getting a safety hurt, and then Khalil Tate took right advantage of it. They threw a TD right to where he was, uh, broken coverage. There was a lot of Khalil Tate long bombs that were uh, really impressive. I mean, he threw the ball way better than they ran the ball. Um, Arizona ended up getting a big fourth down stop in Purdue territory. I thought that was a big play. Um, so I think mistakes too were kind of prep, you know, like prevalent in this game. There was a lot of mistakes on both sides. And that's when a team made a mistake, it seemed like the other team uh, sort of jumped on it. And, it, you know, there was a lot of back and forth, which was cool. I love the way that Arizona was playing defense with all their young guys. They were really aggressive. There was, they were coming after them, uh, you know, coming after the quarterback. Uh, there was tight coverage, and it didn't seem like Purdue was able to take advantage. You know what I mean? Like, if a team's going to play that aggressively, usually you can, like, 
hit some big plays, but it seemed to keep working um, for Arizona. So I thought that was, I, I like the way they were playing defense. Um, there was a roughing the kicker on Arizona. If you remember that, uh, it gave like Purdue had a three and out. It gave them new life. So that's a mistake. And then they get a long drive for a touchdown after that. Uh, they missed the PAT, but Arizona was offside. So they get it back. So it seemed like every time there was a mistake, the other team was able to, uh, uh, to jump on it. There was a uh, Purdue, there was a nine yard punt from Arizona. There was a couple good punts from Arizona. If you remember, Arizona all year was pretty bad at punting. Yeah. But they had a nine yard punt, which was bad. Um, two minutes left in the half. Uh, they tried to flea, flea flicker. That didn't work. Um, but there, yeah, so all these kind of weird plays like that that just, but it, that's, I think that's why the game was fun. And the fact that people were able to jump on the mistakes. Um, let's see. He, uh, Khalil Tate going to work. Uh, he fumbled with a minute left. Uh, in the half, and then Purdue did like a fake kneel down, and they ran for 41 yards. I thought that was a pretty funny play. Do you remember that one? Yeah, that was crazy. Yeah, that was nuts. Um, but they kept it. They they held on and uh, held Purdue to a field goal. So it was 31 to 14 at the half. Um, and then you know Purdue made some mistakes in the second half. They missed a field goal, and Arizona had a long drive that was aided by a pass interference call. Then Purdue interception off a tip ball, and it, it really gave Arizona new life. Another touchdown pass from Khalil Tate. So there was just, like I said, a lot of long TD passes. Um, and I thought the Arizona defense kept playing really well in the third quarter. They had a huge uh, fourth down stop early in the fourth quarter. Um, and Purdue finally scored late in the fourth, and they made they, they finally made Arizona pay for bringing all that pressure. But at the end, Tate threw interception when there was like uh, no threat to run, when it was when it was really there were they were I think they were worried the Purdue defense was worried about Tate running so much that they let these guys get open. But in the late in the game when it mattered and they couldn't really run the ball, that's when I think that that Tate interception hurt them. But he had five touchdown passes. A lot of them were for wide open. And uh, the Purdue quarterback. One last note. Sorry, there was a lot of notes here. Played on a torn ACL the last three and a half games, and he was balling out there. So um, yeah, he was great. Yeah, I mean, my big takeaway was just how ineffective Arizona's rushing attack was. I mean, beyond Khalil Tate, I mean, J.J. Taylor, only 10 carries for 19 yards. Nick Wilson, only 8 for 29. I mean, those are two guys who, I mean, they've been productive this year. Khalil Tate's been productive this year. This is a rushing attack that was routinely getting 300 yards a game, and they ended up with 43 for 128 yards. And I don't think it was, like, completely Arizona just, you know, whiffing a lot. I think Purdue's rush defense just looked good. Yeah. I mean, they were they were fitting the run really well. They were tackling really well. I mean, the most explosive play Arizona had was uh, 15 yards. And for this Arizona rushing attack to only have a 15-yard carry as their long carry of the day is nuts. Um, so that was the most impressive thing standing out from this game for me, was just Purdue's rush defense. And that's not a great sign for Arizona uh, you know and I think to be fair I think they sold out and I think they really and that allowed Tate to throw five touchdown passes you know um, yeah but maybe that's the that's the give and take you make with Arizona right that you know give up some some passing yards to Khalil Tate but just don't let them kill you on the ground yeah all right well this one may be the most pac 12 bowl that we've had um, maybe the most like depressing one if you're a Pac-12 fan uh it was Stanford Cardinal taking on a team you don't want to see in the Alamo Bowl uh TCU yeah this was brutal like a brutal finish for Stanford um 
played really well the whole game. They were up 21 to three at one point in, I think it was deep in the second quarter and then finished losing 39 to 37. Um, and I mean, they had a lead pretty late. They were up 31, 23. And then it was like a back and forth final few minutes. And it ends with, uh, KJ Costello interception, <laughs> um, with time to go. Like they could have, you know, driven down the field, but, um, pick ends the game. Ah, this was this was a brutal one to watch, especially most importantly because I had, um, <laughs> I think I had TCU minus three. You did, yeah, TCU right? minus three, and there was a missed PAT, right, or something. Yeah, yeah, that was the most brutal part of this for me. Um, actually, it was a missed two point conversion. Oh, two point conversion. Point. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but like, there were just there were some issues. I mean, Stanford gave up a punt touchdown, which you don't often see from Stanford. Um, and just too many mistakes late for them. They had a, I mean, what was that crazy play? It was like a 93 yard touchdown for TCU, like a one play drive, um, in the fourth quarter. Like this fourth quarter was yeah, blockers. It was it a 93, 23 Stanford to 39, 37 TCU. Yeah. Stanford, they gave up a 93 yard touchdown pass and then a 76 yard punt return in the fourth quarter. So like, <laughs> like boom. And, and it was funny. So I, so I got both of the, the, the Arizona game and the Stanford game right. I picked Purdue, uh, and Arizona was minus three, and Stanford getting three points. Uh, and they were both close, but they both of those games were like blowouts where I was like, oh, I'm, I'm cruising. And then like at the end, I thought I was going to lose, yeah. you know, so I had to kind of sweat it out. So it, it was close, but it was like Stanford was winning by a ton. And I was like, oh, this is fine. And Purdue was winning by a ton, but then I had to sweat them at the end. So it would have been there would have been pretty terrible backdoor covers, at least for me, if these teams, you know, they both ended up working. But the teams that were dominating the game end up covering, but it was very, very close. <laughs> it was very, very close at the end. So close, so close. Uh, Bryce Love's uh, potential final game at Stanford, I guess we'll see because he hasn't announced yet. Um, I thought he was fine. I mean, it wasn't his best game. I thought he looked slightly more healthy on that ankle. I still don't think it looked quite right, um, but he was fine. TCU, I thought, did a better job defending defending against him, but he still had a 69-yard TD. So, um, But KJ Costello, I thought, you know, he obviously had two picks, but I thought he did a better job than probably Keller Christ would have done against this defense. Um, I don't know. I mean, it was a stanford game. They should have won. I'm sure their win expectancy throughout the game up until the final minutes was probably – you know, at, at certain points, it was probably well into the 80s, maybe 90% range. Um, so that's that's a bummer. But, you know, 9-5 and five season for Stanford and what was pretty clearly a, you know, rebuilding-ish year is not too bad. Um, and TC was a good team. Yeah. Um, you know, they lost to Oklahoma twice, but otherwise they were pretty pretty darn good all year. So it's funny. The TCU staff told the television crew during the week that they weren't going to try a lot of trick plays because Stanford's too smart. But they end up trying two in the first quarter. They did a fake punt on the first drive, which was awful. And Stanford just stopped it. But they didn't do anything on their drive either. And they end up missing like a 52-yard field goal. Uh, they also uh, had a throwback kickoff return that ended up being a forward pass. So that was a terrible play too. But so it was funny that they kind of said they weren't going to try them. And then they end up doing it. And they started working um, later. Stanford had a, like a sure interception in the end zone in the first quarter. Um, you mentioned Bryce Love. He has a couple of good early runs, but he kept limping off the field. You were hoping he was going to be healthier after having, yeah, uh, this much time off. Um, we mentioned that you know 
in the, the fourth quarter, not giving up. You know, so they had this big lead, uh, 18-point lead, 93-yard touchdown pass, 76-punt return. Lots of underneath stuff from TCU, I think, later, and that's was the adjustment that TCU made. And Stanford really had a hard time tackling. They would just get their athletes in some space, and they would be eight, nine yards to play or break a big one, you know? And at the end yeah. of the game, David Shaw was just like, man, it just was so like, it was like he wasn't disbelief that they'd given up uh, this big lead. And, um, you know, we talked about the Pac-12 refs, only four total penalties in the whole game. So that's uh, certainly not a Pac-12 ref crew. But some numbers for you, Dave, before I let you jump in. Pac-12 title game loser is now 0-7 in bowl games. That's pretty weird. And Stanford under David Shaw is 43 and 1 after leading by 18 points. And Aww. this was the one. Um, I've got a stat for you. Okay. So since the Alamo Bowl became a Pac 12 affiliated bowl, and it is now the number two Pac 12 bowl, uh, the Pac 12's 2 and 6 in this game uh, against the Big 12 team playing in San Antonio. Weird. But Oklahoma State beat Arizona by 26 in 2010. Baylor beat Washington 67-56 in 2011. Texas beat Oregon State 31-27 in 2012. Yeah, that's when Oregon State was last really good, 2012. Wasn't that long ago. Um, then Oregon and UCLA both won back-to-back games. And then TCU beat Oregon 47-41 in 2016. Oklahoma State beat Colorado last year by 30. And then TCU won this game by two. But uh, – TCU also came back, right? What was the Oregon game where they were down like 35 nothing or something? Yeah, that was crazy. That was crazy. Uh, but, yeah, TCU won that game in triple OT. But, I, I, you know, maybe it's not – I mean, it's a small sample size in the whole thing. But maybe, maybe the number two Pac-12 bowl game shouldn't be against a Big 12 team in literal Big 12 country. <laughs> just a thought. Just, you know, just throwing it out there. You can throw it right back if you don't agree. But I think that might be a – it might be one of those other things about getting serious um, for, for Larry Scott to think about. And maybe don't have two Pac-12 bowl games at the exact same time. Hey, you know what? Let's let's take baby steps, all right, Ryan? The, actually, I think this kind of helped because – so the game we just talked about, I believe, if I, I got this right, so the Alamo Bowl with Stanford and TCU was going on the same time as this game, if I am not mistaken. Washington yep. State Cougars. <laughs> in the Holiday Bowl against Michigan State. And because this one was maybe the most, like, just unwatchable, disappointing Pac-12 games, it kind of made everyone look to Stanford. But then you got to see Stanford absolutely collapse because the other game was unwatchable. So I I don't think it worked out well that the Pac-12 had these two games at the same time. Uh, One just became unwatchable, and the other one you didn't want to watch at the end because it was a collapse and a disaster. Yeah, I mean, Washington State just didn't show up. Um, and for, I mean, there were some valid reasons, some not, but they lost 42-17 to Michigan State in San Diego. Um, obviously, Luke Falk didn't play, so that, uh, however much you think yeah. that affected things, um, he wasn't playing great this year. Uh, Tyler Holinsky, I don't think, was in any way the reason they lost. He only threw one interception. <laughs> Threw a couple of touchdowns, you know, completed like nearly 80% of his passes. Um, he also had a fumble. So, yeah, you can you can blame it a little bit on that. But when you lose 42-17, to 17, that's a comprehensive loss. And yeah. I would put this, given what we know about the strengths of this Washington State team this year, I put this much more on the defense. 
Um, they gave up, what was it, 440 yards on 70 plays to Michigan State, which isn't great. Michigan State's offense isn't good. Um, giving up 227 yards on the ground to them, allowing them to run the ball like that, um, that's not great. Rankin Brian Lewerke looked good again. That 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 doesn't jive with what I remember from Lewerke from high school. <laughs> um, so like, there's just a few different things there where it's like, you know, they obviously didn't come to play, and that was one of the things I think we mentioned in our bowl preview and then quickly ignored, at least on my end. Um, Mike Leach has had some issues motivating his team. I'm not going to speak about Texas Tech because I don't really remember, but at Washington State, there's been some issues with motivation at times where the team just shows up to a game and looks like they have never played football before and aren't interested in playing it that day. Um, and that's what this game looked like. Just, you know, oh, uh, Washington State looks nothing like a top 20 team. They look nothing like a top half of college football team. Um, and Michigan State made them pay. Yeah, Um we talked about the bowl games that, you know, it can be a crapshoot at times where like teams just won't show up. And I really felt this was a pick them basically. I think Washington State favored by one. Um, I just felt that they were going to bounce back from a, a pretty bad Apple Cup and, and play well in this game. And man, was I wrong. Now, if we would have known when we picked that Luke Falk wasn't going to play, would we have picked Michigan State? Maybe. I don't know. Um, I, that probably would have been enough to tip it for me, but yeah. I wouldn't have predicted a 25 point loss. No. Um, and so he may have had, so Luke Falk may have had surgery. Uh, he might've hurt his wrist against Washington state or re-injured it. We just weren't getting a lot of details and it was really basically like right before the game, you figured out Tyler Helinski was going to get the start. And I was like, Oh, that's kind of interesting. Um, you know, early on the game, uh, special, there was, you know, like Dave talked about, it wasn't just Luke Falk, uh, you know, not playing. I mean, Special teams had some mistakes earlier on for Washington State. They had like a bad kickoff return. They muffed the punt. Um, I ended up going to dinner and I think I came back and it was 35 to three. I'm like, okay, don't need to watch this one anymore. <laughs> um, there was, okay, get this for Washington State too. So your starting quarterback's out, right? Uh, you have some faith in Tyler Helinski, but this is a really, you know, they got some good running backs on this team, Dave. There were three rushes by Washington State running backs. Uh, eight total rushes, you know, five of them by Helensky's for 24 yards total. You would think that maybe, especially when you get, you want to try to run the football a little bit. It's like he completely abandoned the run game whatsoever. Um, that Washington State's had, a, and, and so, you know, Helensky's numbers weren't like terrible, but he threw 50 passes for only 272 yards. He had a seven yard per completion uh, average, which is pretty bad. And, and Michigan State ended up being 10 of 15 on third down. So certainly, um, you know, they, they, they couldn't get him off the field, but, you know, not running the ball, Dave, uh, such a, you know, piddly yards per completion. You throw the ball 50 times, you got to get more than 272 yards. So it was just overall, it was bad. And like you said early, it just didn't seem like they showed up and, and really cared much about this game. Here's the question for the offseason is, has, the Pac-12 at least, but I think maybe college football in general, figured out Mike Leach's offense at long last. Because if you look at the numbers for this year, I mean, I'm just going to look at raw point totals. I know it's not, you know, super analytical, but I think it, I mean, it bears some looking at because, all right, so once you break out a non-conference play, USC, they scored 30. Oregon, they scored 33. Cal, they scored three. 
Colorado, they scored 28. Arizona, in a shootout, they scored 37. Stanford, they scored 24. Utah, they scored 33. Washington, they scored 14. And Michigan State, they scored 17. I mean, replacing a quarterback never used to be a thing for Mike Leach. Like, you, oh, you plug in some other guy who's going to throw the same little dink and dunk stuff and generate, you know, 600 yards of offense. Um, this offense never really seemed to hum this year, no matter who was starting. Um, and they did get away from the run, like going like almost pure air raid in the last few games. And it really didn't seem to make it all that much better. Um, I don't know. I, maybe there's some wrinkles that need to be added that haven't maybe been, at, been added in a while. I mean, I don't think you throw the whole thing out, but um, this wasn't a great year for that offense. They were led largely by a, a, a pretty darn good defense that failed them a little bit in the bowl game. But I, I don't know if I was being proactive, I would definitely take a look at that offense and see if maybe there's some changes, you know, some tweaks that need to be made uh, this off season. Like uh, this one wrinkle that I've seen some teams use is a handoff. Like that's a... <laughs> <laughs> so it's like what? Uh, Man, like good. Murrow and Williams. Like they, I mean, they got good running backs there, and it, it just seems sometimes he would get Leach would get so stubborn and just like, nope, we're not running the ball. And it's like, man, I, I don't get it. Like, I, I yeah. So we'll see. I mean, Michigan State had their number. They showed up in San Diego, ready to play. Uh, I thought Leach would get these guys ready. Um, and you know, what are the odds if there was going to be five coaching changes in the Pac-12 that Leach wasn't one of them at this point? Like, that's a little strange. Yeah. So just some yards per play stats. Ooh. Washington State finished with 5.2 yards per play this year which is 89th in the country. <laughs> That's, That's a, not good, by no. the way. 89 is bad. No. <laughs> um, last year they were at, last year they were at 5.9. Um, the previous year they were at 5.7. So this is, I mean, this is one of the worst years for that offense. The previous year before that they were 5.7. I mean, this is, uh, it's not great um, to be down that low um, with that offense. If you turned out, like a reasonable Mike Leach offense this year, say it averaged like 5.7 yards per play, you might win a, a game or two more. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, if I was identifying an issue, it's definitely definitely um, that offense kind of sputtering this year. So, yeah, maybe the most, like, just disappointing overall efforts uh, by a Pac-12 team, and that's saying something uh, for a 1-8 bull squad. That was just, just a dismantling. Um, all right, let's move on to the, the Sun Bowl, Dave, we had. Arizona State Sun Devils. <laughs> Taking on North Carolina State. So did ASU win? No. No. No, because no, only one team. And, only one team. And we need home. to apologize up front for like, no, I know I was on the flu and all that stuff, but we didn't even realize that Todd Graham was the we forgot that Todd Graham was coaching this game. That was so. incredible. No, don't apologize for that. That kind of that's what people are paying their good money for. <laughs> that level of competence is exactly where those dollars go. Um yeah, we didn't know that cuz I mean we did know it. We knew like it. when we both heard that we're like, "Oh yeah, right. We already talked about that actually." <laughs> it's not that we didn't know it, it's that it's that we're very dumb <laughs> and we might have like some severe like uh, you know, brain issues, but yeah. here we are and we made it and uh, Arizona state did not. They lost by a lot of points to NC state in the sun bowl. It was, you know, should have been a, you know, a relative home game for ASU. It wasn't, 
NC State won by 21 points, 52-31. Wasn't super competitive. This was 28-10 at the half. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's a weird a weird cloud to play under if you're ASU, isn't it? Like you're having to be motivated for a game um, where the guy who's coaching you has been fired and he's still coaching you and trying to motivate you and he's already been fired and you have to think about playing for like Herm Edwards next year. I mean, there's got to be a lot of stuff swirling around you at that point. The defense didn't show up. Um, you know, I mean, NC State ran for six touchdowns. Um, their, NC State's quarterback was 24 of 29, which is basically just him playing catch in the backyard. <laughs> um, I mean, ASU's offense was, yeah, eh. I mean, it was kind of similar to what we saw at different points this year. I thought Manny Wilkins made some mistakes Made some big plays, too. Um, but the rushing attack was, you know, it's back to kind of sputtering a little bit. Um, but the main issue was the defense just couldn't stop NC State. And, you know, whenever you're looking for motivation issues, it's easier to see them on defense because if they don't tackle them, the other guys score a bunch of points. If an offense isn't motivated, yeah, it might look about the same, maybe a couple more turnovers, but a defense. And I think I, I would pin this one, this result, largely on one team being in turmoil. You know, one team being yeah. like, well, I don't, we don't even know who our head coach is right now. Who the who, who the hell knows? <laughs> yeah, and I think we we both got this one right. Arizona State was getting six and a half, and I don't think either of us knew much about North Carolina State. But we're just like, yeah, just whatever. It's just a mess. So we, it's hard to picture Arizona State coming out and being fired up for this one. It's more you know baffling when you see Washington State not coming out uh, motivated, and you could argue Arizona State came out and was more motivated than Washington State was, but. Um, yeah, it wasn't, wasn't a great look. I, th- I think Todd Graham tried some things. There was like an onside kick early that didn't really work that well. Uh, but, but then, so I didn't see much of the beginning. I got to the press box at the Cotton Bowl and, uh, it was 28, 28 10 at the half. And I was like, okay, this isn't, and then it was hard for me to get CBS. They weren't showing it. I had to kind of go try to watch some screens back where the food was and stuff. So I got to see some of it, but it was hard. I couldn't like watch on my, uh, tablet or whatever at my, at my seat, but, um, Arizona State, the defense, Dave, did not force a single three and out. So that's bad. Uh, North Carolina State punted one time. Uh, that's bad. Four turnovers for Arizona State, one for North Carolina State. And then North Carolina State uh, scored on four straight four straight touchdowns in the first half and then three straight touchdowns in the second half. So there were some spurts that just like Arizona State just didn't know which way they were going and uh, – yeah, as you can guess, most of the stats were pointing towards uh, North Carolina State. Yeah, and in the first half, the one drive that North Carolina State did not score a touchdown on, they had the ball first and goal at ASU's two. <laughs> and I mean, they didn't score, yeah. And they didn't score. But otherwise, they, they scored touchdowns on every single drive in the first half. This could have been 35-10 at the half with ease. I mean, it's just... And I, I'm not. I don't blame ASU for not coming out. And, no, you know, fully ready to play. But the, I mean, it's when you, when you see a result like that, they didn't come out fully ready to play. Yeah, and that's just the long and the short of it. And I, I think it's it's a completely natural and human thing to be. You know, right. when, um, you know, when your coach gets fired for no reason, and then you hire a complete joke. And the coach is still there coaching. I mean, they were just. I know it's was... just it's, it's like weird. It like makes me uncomfortable to think about. It's like just weird. If you were the ASU administration, you're like, what would make us have the worst bowl performance ever? Like, okay, let's fire the coach, but he coaches the bowl game and then hire 
some crazy old guy that's on television to be the head coach of the future. Like that's like what you would do. So I, no shame. I mean, no, you know, this was not a game that Arizona State put a lot of stock into. There's no surprise that this one's a loss. This is one you expected to be a loss kind of going into it. It's just all the other Pac-12 games that kind of went the same way. You're like, this one makes sense. The other one, a lot of the other ones didn't. Yeah, exactly. All right. Uh, I guess we'll move on uh, to the, the two uh, New Year's Six Bowl games. We have uh first one up is the Cotton Bowl between USC Trojans and the Ohio State Buckeyes. So, yeah, um, talking about, I, I want to say this was the most god-awful boring game uh, of bowl season so far. Uh, Ohio State won 24-7, and it felt like an Alabama win, like where it was just, like the, the second half of this game was just life-sucking. Because both defenses, I think both defenses played great pretty much the entire game. They were both really good. Uh, no complaints with either defense, but the offenses were like just so generally inept for both sides for this entire second half that it was just, I mean, it was more or less unwatchable football. Um, but yeah, I mean, Ohio state kind of, as I said, two weeks ago, um, I thought they were a lot better just kind of generally. And then I ignored that when I picked this game, um, you did not. You took my advice from two weeks ago yes. when you picked this game, but I did not. Um, I picked USC because I, I, I'm never right. Um, but yeah, this was, I, I mean, Ohio State, their defensive line just uh, kind of ate up USC's running game. They got after Darnold and kind of kept him in the pocket, just kept him kind of uncomfortable and off his spot. You know, he finished with a lot of yards, but I thought this was a pretty poor game for him. Um, threw a pick, had a couple of fumbles, just, you know, and he was, I mean, he was getting hit constantly, 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 yeah. and more than he probably has in a long, long time. Um, so that, I mean, obviously forces turnovers, but um, the story of this game for me was, look, USC's defense played really well, but Ohio State's defensive line is, is uh, on another level from, like, basically everything else in this game. Yeah, that, that that Ohio State defensive line, no team in the Pac-12, I think, would have fared very well uh, against that. But oh. four, 14 tackles for loss, eight sacks. Uh, Darnold, you know, threw a pick six, uh, fumbled a couple of times. Um, USC ended up fumbling on the first drive in you know, or, uh, Oregon State. Sorry. No, this was not Oregon State. Ohio State <laughs> punched it in, um, and it was just kind of downhill from there. No points in the second half at all. All the turn, all the touchdowns in the game came off of turnover. So, like Dave said, it just wasn't all that watchable. And I, you know, I I talked to a lot of defensive players afterwards, and you know, you couldn't have asked much more of them. It's not like this is a really dynamic uh, Buckeye offense. Uh, JT Barrett, you know, he ran a couple good touchdown runs, but in the second half, they really didn't need to do much. So they were pretty vanilla. The USC defense stopped them. They they were focused on stopping the run, and they did a really good job of it. I would have been curious to see uh, USC end up getting the red zone three times in the second half and didn't score. Um, I, I would have been curious to see if USC was able to punch it in. Um, and they were, they didn't have any urgency whatsoever, and they were down three scores. It was no, really that was weird. Bizarre. It was so yeah. bizarre. It was like they were trying to run out the clock. But if USC could have scored, Dave, does Ohio State change and, like, now have to open things up and try to score. And maybe the defense can force a turnover. It just seemed like they needed a little spark on offense. 
the defense was doing plenty, you might force Ohio State into a to a mistake and 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 get some points out of it. The only touchdown USC scored was off a muff punt from Ohio State, but the offense just couldn't do anything. And then it you know the defense unless they scored they were screwed. You know so. They, the defense did all they could, but special teams and, and the offense for USC were, were all pretty bad. Yeah, it did feel like, I, I don't know if like giving up's the right word, but it did feel like the coaching staff really just kind of was like, because, I mean, the, the, the fourth quarter, I mean, USC continued to shut down Ohio State's offense, and USC actually started to move the ball. I mean, they had the missed field goal, but you make that field goal, it's 24-10 instead of 24-7 with... I mean, what was it, 13 minutes to go at that point? Then you've got – they had Ohio State punt, and then they drove down the field 70 yards and then had a fumble in the Ohio State red zone. But, like, they had been moving the ball every drive in that, like, quick succession in the second half. And then they decide, essentially, to run a bunch of clock and have a 17-play drive. And it was just like, yeah, I guess you're taking a little bit of what the defense gives you, but you're also, like, just not – really going with a ton of urgency at the end of the game and it was just weird because i mean if they'd seized it it felt like the momentum was there yeah i mean ohio state's offense was getting shut down to a much greater degree in that second half than usc's was um and it just it seemed like they weren't necessarily cognizant of that fact yeah, it was very strange. It's just, I mean, they were they would run a running play that would take like thirty seconds to run. You're like down three scores in the fourth quarter. You're like, what is going on? Like, where something didn't seem right. And now Tyson Helton, the quarterback coach who helped with some of the play calling, left for Tennessee. They uh, promoted a graduate assistant, Brian Ellis, who was sitting next to T. Martin. Uh, Scott Wolf from the Daily News tweeted out that Brian Ellis was actually calling the the passing plays, and we haven't been able to confirm that or anything. But that would seem very strange if you let like a GA basically come in and start like being involved in the play calling for the bowl game. It kind of looked like that. It looked like things were getting down to the field very fast, and it was kind. I thought it would be smoother with only one guy in the booth calling the plays. So we'll see. We haven't been able to talk to to, to Clay Hilton after the game. Um, outside of the quick press conference, so we don't really know, but it it just didn't seem right. And uh, you know, for a, an eleven and three season, it it kind of leaves a lot of USC fans with a, a bad taste in their mouth. You know, the big national games getting blown out by Notre Dame, getting blown out by Ohio State. It's not really, yeah, they won the Pac twelve, but the Pac twelve was one and eight in bowl games. So a lot of the USC fans, despite the the win in the Pac twelve championship game, uh, they don't feel all that good about the season. Yeah, and I mean, Darnold obviously made some mistakes. He had the pick six, he had a couple of fumbles, the whole deal. But like this, the whole game reads like a failure of coaching to me because uh, going back to those last three drives, USC averaged 6.5 yards per play in those last three drives and got no points from it. And there was no sense of urgency on that last drive as if they weren't recognizing that they were moving the ball really easily. Yeah, Like four of their five best drives of the game came in the second half in terms of yards per play, in terms of actual total yardage of the drive, like, I, I, yeah, I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to be a long time making sense of this one. Um, USC, I mean, obviously they, they didn't make anything of their red zone opportunities, and that's probably the big story, but, like, just a, a seeming lack of recognition that they were, you know, they were actually having a better time of it against Ohio State's defense than Ohio State's offense was having against them, and it just didn't seem that USC necessarily recognized that. All right, we got one last game. Um, you know, I'm, I'm hoping we get a win in this one, Dave. I don't know. We'll see. This was the uh, 
Fiesta Bowl, we had Washington Huskies <laughs> taking on Penn State. I didn't watch this one. I'm just hoping we the, the Pac-12 won, Dave. Just tell me they won. They didn't win. Oh, damn it. I know, I know, I know. I know it was a big shock, but they, 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 did, not, they did not win the football game. Um, Penn State won 35-28. Uh, this one, honestly, I felt like Penn State dominated it. Um, Washington kind of snuck back in, but like they didn't really. I mean, it was Washington maintained like contact. I guess you could say it was twenty-eight-seven early, but then Washington got it back within two scores, and then back within one score, and then Penn State pulled ahead again by a score. But then Washington climbed back in, and it went back and forth over the final minutes, with it only being a one-score game, but. Just there wasn't I, – I never really felt like Washington was going to win this game. Um, Penn State just looked better. Um, they looked more explosive. They made Washington's defense, which looks looked really good all year, suddenly look a little bit pedestrian. Um, Penn State ran the ball maybe better than I think any team ran on Washington this year, 38 carries for 203 yards. Um, and they threw the ball really, really well. I mean, Trace McSorley he threw a couple of picks, but he also had some deep touchdowns. Um, and you know, Washington was Washington offensively. I think Miles Gaskin was effective. Jake Browning was, yeah, he was fine ish, I guess. Um, but again, in kind of a big game against an elite team, I think his limitations show up a little bit and I think they showed up in this one as well. Um, but I think just Penn state was a better team. That's, that was my full read on this game. I thought Penn state was just a fundamentally better team and they showed it. Yeah, you, the first half was where most of the scoring was going on, and Penn State was, you know, two or three touchdown lead, and then Washington State would—I mean, Washington State, excuse me—Washington would do something good and kind of, you know, they would keep cutting it back. They'd cut it to one score, but you, like you said, it just never felt like, yeah, they were there and they could have done it, but it just didn't seem like it was. It, it just seemed like it was going to be Penn State's game. I mean, they had. 545 uh, total yards to Washington's 331. Um, they had one, you know, Washington forced one three and out, and Penn State forced Washington to go three and out four times. That's going to be, you know, it's tough when you're going to be doing that. Uh, Penn State had eight tackles for loss for against uh, Washington's four. Um, you know, top of possession, you know, Washington, I mean, Penn State dominated 35, almost 36 minutes of the game. And, you know, Trace McSorley had, 60 yards rushing in the game, too, besides his 342 yards passing. So he had a really kind of big game. You know, Browning, when he's 18 to 28 for 175 and a touchdown, like you can beat some teams. Washington does that when they, you know, they run the football, but it's you, you weren't going to beat this Penn State team with those kind of numbers. It had to be like 300 yards passing, and Gaskin needed like 150 yards rushing, and he, you know, he was under 100. So it just seemed like, they needed to do a little bit more, and it, you had to. This is a really dynamic Penn State offense. We saw it last year in the Rose Bowl, same sort of thing we saw uh, this year, you know, in the Fiesta Bowl. And I just Washington just needed to be better on offense, and it just it just wasn't there. Yeah, and I mean, if you if you look at it like Washington had some momentum late, and if you were reading this fairly charitably, the main like the the real you know, point at which the wind got completely taken out of their sails was on that um, final drive for Penn State where, you know, if they force a quick three and out, they get the ball back with a really good chance to score, probably, you know, four minutes left or so. 
And instead they allowed a 13 play 47 yard, six minute drive. Um, and that, I mean, it took basically all the time out, you know, Jake Browning. Oh, we got to talk about the final play of the game because this was kind of cool. Um, they do a little kind of a tricky play with, um, about 15 seconds to go. I want to say, um, where Dante Pettis gets it finally. Um, I think it was like, what was it? It wasn't a statue of Liberty. It was the, um, hook and lateral. Um, and Dante Pettis gets it going down the sideline and he's got like, he, he makes up a lot of ground. He's at like the Penn state 34. And if he just runs out of bounds, um, Washington gets a shot from that yard line, basically like five seconds left or something. Five seconds left. Yeah. But instead, uh, he tosses it back because I think he's, you know, I think they were under the like idea that this is the final play of the game. Um, he tosses it back and he gets picked off in transit. But uh, if he just run out of bounds there, Washington would have had, you know, I mean, not a great shot at it, but like well within Jake Browning's Hail Mary distance, uh, 34 yards. I mean, <laughs> all right, bumping up gonna, against the gonna... limits, bumping up against the limits of Jake Browning's Hail Mary distance. But it's it's, it's there. It's reasonable. Um, and uh, just didn't happen for him. But um, yeah, it was I mean, it was an exciting finish. Um but the main issue, I thought, was just Washington's defense being unable to stop Penn State when it really mattered. If they'd, if they'd been able to stop them on that drive, I think Washington had enough momentum at that point that they would have gone right back down and scored. It would have been a tie game, gone to overtime, and it could have been a lot of fun. Yeah, Pettis, I think, was a little banged up. He only had uh, two targets in the game, uh, one catch for 40 yards. But yeah, if he could have, you know, in his defense, maybe he was like, you know what, I'm only at the 34 this isn't going to be, we need to score now because he's not going to be able to heave it into the end zone from here. Like maybe that's what he was thinking. And we can't, and, and we can't do another hook and lateral. We'll know it's coming. Yeah. And, you know, we're just still too far out. We can't do it. Yeah. There were, so Washington had a couple, you know, some big plays that were that like, wow, maybe Washington's in this game. Like Gaskin, they had like that 69 yard uh, touchdown run, I believe. But I mean, he had 60, that one 69 yard run. But only 98 yards total in the game and uh, only 14 attempts. So they probably needed to run him a little bit more. But, yeah, it's just – it could have happened. Like Penn State could have had some kind of – I mean, uh, you know, Penn State could have had some crazy collapse and Washington could have scored maybe at the end and tied it. But like you said, it just didn't seem like it was Washington's game. Um, Penn State just kind of got that early lead and was always up by two or three scores and uh, – or a lot of the times up by two or three scores and just seemed to be able to keep Washington at a distance. All well, right. that's the Pac-12 bowl season for 2017. It's not all that memorable, but I would suggest you just download this podcast and keep listening to it over and over and just remind yourself that how bad we as the Pac-12 were in the bowl games. It was just it was just not pretty, Dave. It was not. It was uh it was extremely ugly. Extremely ugly. So how are we going to tackle these questions, Ryan? Well, how many we got? Like do we need to do some well, cuz we didn't we didn't. Yeah, I think we might have to do some because okay. we didn't do any in our last show, and some of those questions are now getting a little old. They're a little stale. So maybe so we do the old ones. Maybe we start from the top and work our way down. Okay, and then just kind of see when they start to get a little bit stale. Sure. Um, I actually have an email that I got like outside of our Pac-12 email. If we want to start with that, or sure, you know. that works. So Tony wrote in. So he wrote in to, to me for whatever reason, but he said it seems the Pac-12 is closing in on DefCon One. Does Tennis Larry have a situation? He's talking about Larry Scott, who's the Pac-12 commissioner. Uh, have a situation room uh, in Hayward or Fremont or wherever the Pac-12 headquarters are, in quotes, 
uh, so he can consult the power brokers and brain trust in the conference, namely Wazoo and Oregon State officials, respectively. Is this the worst Pac-12 season on and off the field in recent memory? That's from Tony. I mean, the Pac-12 is is down about as bad as I can remember right now. Um, and I think with some of the off-field stuff, I, I think you could make that argument for sure. Um, last year wasn't great. I mean, I know Pac-12 had a playoff team, but the Pac-12 was clearly an inferior league last year. Um, and I think this year uh, more so. I, I, I do want to like pump the brakes a little bit on blaming it all on Larry Scott and the Pac-12, even though they're, they fully deserve a ton of blame. Um, Pac-12 schools generally hire crappy coaches, and it's not just money. They make really bad decisions. Um, USC hired Clay Helton. USC doesn't have a money issue. They hired Clay Helton. I mean, he's not a great coach. I, mean, I don't think I'm speaking like wild untruths here. Um, and USC should have been able to hire somebody better than Clay Helton. Um, Washington made a great hire. Washington State made a great hire for them. Um, UCLA just made a great hire, but they just got done with like a decade of hiring like a Denver Broncos wide receivers coach, a guy who was getting no sniffs from anybody else, and then another guy who was getting no sniffs from anybody else before they hired Chip Kelly. Uh, Arizona State just hired Herm Edwards. That wasn't a money issue. They're paying him nothing compared to what they paid Todd Graham. Um, It's just uh, Pac-12 schools are just like, I I think they're run by people who just uh, do not have football as like their main driver a lot of times and i i think it you know maybe it informs some of the league-wide decisions but yeah i i I just wanted to rant a little bit about the fact that the pac-12 you know it's not just the pac-12 itself but the member schools aren't doing themselves any favors yeah there's a lot of blame to go around um but you know i think it starts at the top and uh they've certainly made some poor decisions at the top and uh, that's where things got to change. I think the individual schools do too. You know, you got good, you know, new coaching, a lot of new uh, coaching staffs coming in. Uh, you got to make some really sound decisions and, uh, and try to turn things around. But man, it's, it's bad. <laughs> it's bad. It's, it, yeah. it's probably the worst that I can remember with all the off field stuff. Now, you know, they've already made some changes with the schedule. So, Teams don't have to play a road game followed by a Friday road game, so that's that's at least something positive. But um, that's you know that's a drop in the bucket. There's there's bigger changes I think need to be made. Yeah. So, so should right. we start um, at the top? Is that where you want to go? Yeah, but I think this question is going to be kind of similar to what we just got. So all right, well uh, this is from John um, UCLA seventy six and seventy nine. Um, Gentlemen, despite Dave's state of denial, it has become obvious that the Pac-12 is not competitive in football with the other major conferences. Sadly, two of the last three years, the conference has not had a football team in the top four to be in the playoffs. Some would even argue Washington was totally outclassed last year. Oregon, a school with huge backing from Nike, could not keep its coach from an ACC school. All right, I'm just going to stop right there. Like, his literal dream job. Like, he grew up wearing Florida State clothes. He was from Florida. Like, it's not keeping a coach from an ACC school. It's keeping a coach who is from Florida from coaching at his dream job for, you know, I, I, I kind of think money was no object there, but and a team that won the national title a couple of years ago. Right. I mean, just like, it's a fundamentally better job beyond just, you know, it being his dream job and where he's from. But anyway, 
Uh, look at the bowl results again this year. The humiliation was there for all to see. For goodness sake, Iowa has as much money for football as USC, and Iowa's record is improving. Is there a Pac-12 team that could beat UCF this year? No, I mean, maybe, but UCF's damn good. I mean, yeah. it's not like it's uh, – uh, okay, whatever. Uh, I do not like to say it, but Ryan, the USC guy, called it first. The Pac-12 has fallen a clear level behind the SEC, Big Ten, Big 12, and ACC in football and men's basketball. The Pac-12 was too late to get into the conference network game, and its strategy has been the weakest. The resulting funding budget results are undeniable. The Pac-12 is having real problems standing up to its competition in the money-making sports, football, and men's basketball. This has become undeniable. Despite having two of the premier college quarterbacks in the country in 2017, no Pac-12 football team could hold a candle to the top teams in the other conferences, and it does not look good for basketball this year either. It has been a long time since a Pac-12 team won an NCAA basketball championship. Um, USC Sports Information Office efforts aside, did they give themselves a basketball championship? I wouldn't think so, but I, I yeah. whatever. Uh, the easy part is observing the issue. If the Pac-12 is to become competitive in the conference leadership, the university chancellor's presidents have to admit they are not competitive and decide if they want to be. I'm not convinced they all want the conference to be a leader in football and men's basketball. Even at UCLA, where Chip Kelly was just hired, it took booster effort and leadership to lead the decision-making and make the commitment to get a competitive-level coach in place. Who knows how long he will stay or how much the administration will support him versus drag him down. The poor guy tried to make a housing deal at his introductory press conference. Wow. This is a dark read, man. This is uh, tough. Gentlemen, yeah, gentlemen, in your estimation, what will it take to make the Pac-12 competitive with the other major conferences, and does the will exist to make it happen? Does the fact that 10 of the 12 members of the conference being public universities function as a barrier to making this happen? May I suggest that you review the various aspects of this question with different guests as you work your way through the offseason? Thank you. Hey, John. Um, we're probably not going to do that. because. <laughs> <laughs> But thank you for suggestion. <laughs> oh man. Okay, I, I'll I'll tackle a couple aspects. Okay. Good. First, yeah, the fact that there are public universities, like largely, um, you know, beholden to the interests of the state, um, that doesn't help for sure. Especially, and as we were talking about a little bit earlier on the show, in western states that don't necessarily yeah. prioritize football to the same degree as southern and. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of state schools in states. like the Big Ten, but they, you know, it's a bigger part of the culture. Yeah, it's a huge part of the culture. And so that's a barrier. And I think it is a real barrier that we don't acknowledge enough that there are just like fundamental cultural differences. Now, does that mean that the Pac-12 should be wildly inferior to the other conferences? No. And there are – but there are also competitive advantages to the Pac-12. Um, recruiting, I would say – particularly at the LA schools, but I would say kind of across the board until you get like way North it's people like being in California. They like being on the West coast. I think it appeals to certain types of kids. I think Pac-12 schools can recruit nationally to an extent that some schools like Southern schools, if you look at them, like most of the time, the vast, vast majority of their guys come from the South. And yeah, that's partly because the South produces maybe more, especially defensive linemen uh, at a greater rate. But I think, you know, Pac-12 schools can generally pull a little bit more nationally because I think it's a little bit more attractive to come out here, a little bit more exotic. So I, I think, you know, recruiting is uh, comparatively easy given that the Pac-12 rarely wins championships <laughs> despite it being the conference for championships. But I'd have to look into that a little bit more. But I, that's my feeling. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I think it's all the same stuff we've talked about before, right? you got to make better hires at the coaching positions and you've got to make better decisions 
as a conference. I mean, I, I don't think anybody's saying the Pac-12's TV deal is good. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying I don't know if, you know, there's a huge... I think there's diminishing returns when you start talking about, like, hundreds of millions of dollars, but maybe I'm wrong there because Dave Aranda just got $2.5 million a year to coach the friggin' defense for a team that wasn't <laughs> good this year. So... And I think his point about the like the presidents and chancellors, um, I think that's where it has to start because you know, we've seen a couple of them speak out now, I think at Washington State and at Cal. But for the most part, it's been athletic directors kind of complaining. Um, but you need the president level to to do that. And I just it just seems like it's going to take a lot uh, for this to change. I, I don't see any big kind of changes coming. Um, I think they need to make changes. I just don't – I think Larry Scott's – He's all in on having seven networks that show as many live events as possible, even though most people don't watch any of them. And Wilner did a piece on that, like the zero share that they're getting. Um, it would have been better to partner with uh, a big TV, you know, like a T, uh, Fox or ESPN. But he's still all in on that. And he feels like down the road, they, it can make them more money by them being a full 100% owner. I just don't see that happening um but unless something the, the president's all come along and say you know what stop this make it one network get on direct tv screw this you know showing every women's lacrosse and and uh field hockey game that no one's watching put football on put basketball on show some of the other stuff too but you, you know focus on the the stuff that's actually going to sell ads and and make us money uh, until that happens i don't think it's gonna happen and i think that has to come from the president's yeah, I, I I think I agree with that. Okay, uh, should we move on to the next guy? Sure. This is Scott in Washington. He said, rooting for other Pac-12 schools, Oklahoma and the Pac-12 Bowl reports. Okay, so hey, Dave and Ryan. Happy New Year to you both. A couple of quick thoughts. Uh, yeah, Happy New Year to everybody, since we didn't say that before, um, since we're not nice people. Uh, one in eight in bowl season speaks for itself. Fortunately, Utah didn't have to face Greer with West Virginia or else the Pac-12 would have had the reverse perfect bowl season 0 and 9. I don't necessarily think that's the case, but certainly it would have been a more competitive game if Greer was playing. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, thankfully, Larry Scott didn't see the need to take Oklahoma in when they asked us to join a few years back. Uh, asked to join a few years back. Pac 12 has missed two of the last three after next year with three of four college football playoffs, but having the Sooners being in the conference wasn't necessary. The Pac 12 is doing just fine on its own. Thank you very much. I think he's being sarcastic there. I uh, think so too. My. I, I'm getting better at this stuff. Uh, my, my stance on rooting for other teams in the Pac-12 is simple. I root for other schools 0.000% of the time unless it benefits my team UW. And if it was possible, I hope everything, everyone else goes winless. For me, this is all a zero-sum game from recruiting to cachet to facilities, etc. Teams get ahead at the expense of others. For those who think media slash perception matters, I would argue that Wisconsin this year is a perfect example of that not being the case. ESPN and the playoff committee hated them all year, but if you're a Power 5 team and go undefeated and win your conference championship game, you will be in the playoff no matter what your schedule looks like. The day that changes is the day my stance gets reevaluated. Now for my question. SC, from a physical standpoint, did not look like they belonged on the same field as Ohio State. I get that from 90% of other schools. But how does that happen to the Trojans? Thanks for doing these podcasts. Listen to them as you put them out. Go dogs, Scott in Washington. And uh, yeah, I think they got pushed around mostly 
the offensive line got pushed around by the defensive front. I don't think it was like some great linebacker core for Ohio State or secondary, but the defensive line just was the best unit on the field. And I think that's where the the real difference uh, was. I mean, USC got a bunch of sacks on on JT Barrett and, um, you know, Chen and Wooster. Some of those guys played really well. But I think defensively, there wasn't a lot of USC dudes, I think, that would have played on the Ohio State defense, especially up front. Yeah, I would say um, defensive line. If you're if you're really looking at the super elite teams out of the SEC every year, and certainly Ohio State this year, they generally have defensive lines that you just don't see in the Pac-12. Like, yeah, Washington's got a good defensive line. Don't I'm not gonna take anything away from them, but Vita Vea and Greg Gaines. I mean, those are good players, and they're made to look even better by being in the Pac-12 um, because you just don't see guys like that too often, but. You look at the, some of the guys for Alabama, some of the guys for Ohio State. I mean, these are guys who would be just, I mean, you know, defensive player of the year in uh, in the Pac-12 year in and year out. Um, and they kind of grow them on trees to an extent. Um, and Ohio State, uh, I, I think that's where everyone is, like, citing the mismatch. But I think overall, like, if you're looking at that game, SC had some advantages. Um, I thought SC's receivers actually played pretty well against that Ohio state secondary. I thought they matched them pretty darn well. If not, you know, they were, they looked better. Ronald Jones looked like the fastest guy on the field. Um, it, uh, there was definitely, I mean, it's, the, it's a classic thing and I don't want to get into like the sports writer tropes, but it's the, the speed of a pac 12 team versus the, the strength and power of a, you know, a big 10 or, or, or sec team. Um, and Ohio state certainly has speed too. I'm not trying to take that away, but like, SC has that level of athlete, and I, I saw this game more as a failure of coaching than anything. And obviously, again, Sam Darnold made some mistakes, but um, I, I, I just I don't think SC looked like the better coach team, which is more my issue. Yeah, I agree with you. And the, the, the special teams issues are just, you know, I often talk about how special teams problems are. That's that's a, that that reflects for me on the head coach usually, and how checked in he is, um, and. Uh, just some of the baffling special teams decisions in this game and throughout the year for USC do not speak to a super well-coached team to me. Yeah. You want to read Nick's? Sure. Oh, boy. All right. Uh, It's long. Postseason rundown. Hello, Ryan and David, the lovable Bruin loser. Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, and Kwanzaa, and New Year. I'm sure hope you enjoyed your holidays because Lord knows the Pac-12 didn't. Utah 30 versus uh, West Virginia 14. Who would think our first bowl game would be our only win? Well, it was. Good job, Utes, saving any dignity this conference had left. Average year for the Utes, but a win postseason for a team who usually shows up when it counts. K-State 35 versus Ugly 17. I think he meant UCLA. Um, If I'm not mistaken, UCLA was up 17-7, and then the second half happened, and UCLA blew one of the conference's chances of winning a game. UCLA fans aren't happy with the season, but I'm sure waiting... The Chip Kelly era to start on the field. Purdue 38 versus U of A 35. Another tough loss for the conference. I think Rich Rod didn't do himself any favors losing the last three games after getting that seventh win. One thing he will have going for him is in another year of K-Tate. Not so much, Nick. Not so much. Uh, Michigan State 42. Not because K-Tate's leaving, but because Rich Rod was fired, as we talked about up top. Uh, Michigan State 42 versus Washington State 17. This is a disappointing performance by a coach in Mike Leach who seems to fall short in bowl games. Nine wins is still not bad, especially in Pullman, Washington. Michigan State put it on Washington State in San Diego. 
TCU 39 versus Stanford 37. How disappointing is this game for Stanford and the Pac-12 with the game one only to have TCU take it from them? By the way, the coach of TCU, Gary Patterson, needs to coach in a big-time program. He will play in the playoffs for me, or play, he would play in the playoffs, in my opinion. Uh, Stanford season was average to poor. They went 9-5. and five. Average to poor. They went 9-5, and five, Nick. Uh, love is all they really had. Phillips was dominated by TCU in this game. Uh, North Carolina State Wolfpack versus Todd Graham's ASU Sun Devils. Well, again, another team who just put it on ASU and the Pac-12, the Wolfpack, that is. Todd Graham's team played uninspired, in my opinion. Sad to see him go coach and go out like that. ASU had a decent year one where normally Todd Graham saves his job, but, oh, wait, he was fired. Uh Ohio State 24 versus USC 7. Where to start? Ohio State is a very good team who owned the line of scrimmage, especially on defense. USC had fumbleitis. Meyer versus Helton, or, well, any other Pac-12 coach is going to be a mismatch in favor of Meyer, even on his bad days. USC played scared at the end. Not a good look. USC season was a B-minus, in my opinion. UW 28 versus Penn State 35. Penn State won this game, owned it from the beginning, and never looked back. How was UW in the Fiesta Bowl? UW is average. Yes, they have a good coach, but they will never rep the Pac-12 in a favorable way, especially with the QB they have. And on D, they got dominated. UW season was average at best. Questions. So don't worry, I won't beat a dead horse on how the Pac-12, Pac-12 Network, Larry Scott suck. By the way, I have the Pac-12 Network and like it, LOL. My questions are more of your respected fan bases. All right, number one. Ryan, Abraham, and David Wood. <laughs> You're David Woods. Uh, do you hate dread reading, looking, or having to stop the infighting of your respective boards when your respective teams lay an egg? I personally hate the P because people who hate the coach will say that coach sucks or shouldn't be here. I have an answer to this question, but I want to hear Ryan's first. Um, it's one of the my least favorite parts of the job, but it's definitely a part of the job. Like We focus on so much on creating content. But the message boards are really the lifeblood of the site. So, yeah, when when things go bad, uh, you got to deal with on the board. So it's not not really all that fun, I would say. I love it. <laughs> I love it so much. I love like the vitriol and anger. It's like one of the few things that like back in my fandom days when I was just a reader of Bro, it would like cheer me up seeing how just like vitriolic and mad people were after a game. I'm a sick human being but it's still like i i much i would much rather read the board after a loss than after a win just it's it's more interesting and more fun for me like all the people being like yeah yeah rah rah maybe it's just all these years of like watching ucla football and basketball just being mediocre but i I don't know i've become desensitized i don't think it's bad I, i don't mind reading it like reading stuff but it's like when you have to deal with it like there's personal attacks things you have to delete and like yeah, I don't mind that. I mean, but I, you know, I probably do it less than Tracy does. So, you know, he, he probably has stronger feelings. About it, <laughs> All right. Um, two, can you ever remember a time the Pac-12 has ever looked this bad as a whole? No one came to save the day, even those quote unquote great coaches we have. It was bad. Yeah, that's I mean, not off the top of my head. This was this was one of the worst seasons I can remember for the Pac-12. Yeah. Um, and then three, last question. Who's your early Pac-12 season favorites for North-South, and who wins it? Yes, I know it's not NLI day or junior declared for draft time, but early predictions. Fight on. Man. Whew. Wow, uh, I'm not even there yet. I'm not even in that headspace yet. Um, I mean, I'll go Washington. Yeah, probably, probably pick Washington. I think the South is kind of up for grabs. 
we have to see how the quarterback situation shakes out for USC and UCLA. Because USC might, I mean, they might start a true freshman who's like literally a high school senior. Yeah. Or who should be a high school senior, not literally because he will be at USC, but you get my drift. Um, and UCLA, you know, got to kind of see how long it takes to adjust to Chip Kelly, whether Chip Kelly's still got his fastball, the whole deal. Um, and I mean, Utah's got a shot. You know, you, Tyler I, Huntley's really good. Khalil Tate's really good, but it kind of depends on who Arizona hires yeah, as head coach. I can't pick either Arizona school with firing a coach. Um, I can't pick Well, definitely Colorado. not ASU. Definitely not ASU. I would probably go it, – it's got to be Utah, USC, or UCLA, um, but it's, it's way too early. Like, I think there's a lot – you know, we don't know a lot about at least USC and UCLA. So, Yeah, I, I think – UCLA has upside because Chip Kelly could be really good. Who knows? Maybe it, like it turns it around in one year. Um, USC could be good, but it'll depend on the quarterback being, you know, at least as good as, you know, maybe not as least as good, but like pretty close to what Sam Darnold was this year. So if that's true freshman JT Daniels, he's a phenom. So maybe he is, but that's a question mark. And then with Utah, it's just, you know, can they get over that hump? They're the only Pac-12 South team to have not won the division. Um, and, you know, is the offense going to finally, finally be, like, above average to good? Yeah. So That's the hardest part for me. Question marks. Yeah. It's hard to pick them because they haven't won the division yet. Like, they will eventually at some point, right? But um, I would probably lean towards SC or, or UCLA, but yeah. too early to tell. All right, our buddy yep. Hathleday Almond. Uh, finger pointing is the name of his email. He said, I'm sure by this point in the podcast, you've thoroughly covered several reasons the Pac-12 going 1-8 and in bowl season is Larry Scott's fault. I think we have. Uh, but since I know you boys to be sober, sensitive professionals, not given to wild theorizing, I'd like to give you the opportunity to evaluate a few more things Larry Scott is responsible for that you may have missed. Oh, well, this should be interesting. Okay. Uh, he has a list here. His TV contract forced Washington to play all of their games at night, leaving them blinded by the Fiesta Bowl sunshine. I mean, very good. I, you're not allowed obvious. to wear sunglasses. I've like the band members can, but the players can't. Yeah, weird. Uh, he ran Bill Moose out of Pullman, and the backup AD got Mike Leach coffee so hot he wasted all his bowl prep blowing on it. Did you watch this news conference? That, that was pretty funny. That was so good. <laughs> Leach is a gift that keeps on giving. Um, His financial mismanagement ensured ASU only had the money to get a washed-up, unemployed former coach to run their bowl game. (laughs) Nice. I like that. That is pretty pretty good, too. Very smart, this half-a-day guy. Uh, He finally got Oregon the extra cash they needed to abandon their 40-year tradition of coaching continuity in favor of a coaching carousel disaster great point solid yeah. point it's like you got the, the continuity thing and then you get the mm-hmm. yeah yep, yep, yep. uh he willfully allowed yet another team to play in the alamo bowl where tcu is apparently <laughs> invincible hey i already made that point earlier in this podcast so yeah. we're, we're 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 batting like a thousand on these like sarcastic ass <laughs> points he's making uh, he had the nerve to jinx Khalil Tate by naming him Pac-12 Player of the Week four times, meaning an East Coast opponent actually learned a West Coast player's name. I like that. Solid. Uh, what is this word here? The, the, temerity. Temerity. The, yeah. What does that mean? 
it means the like gumption, the 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 brazen. I, I don't know how to say it in a word you're gonna know. Okay. Like the like the the boldness. Okay. The boldness. I like this half of day. Use words I don't even know. Had the temerity to thank Donald Trump for springing UCLA's uh, courageous anti-capitalists from Chinese jail, enraging their, uh, what was it? Antifa. Antifa. Antifa Antifa football players. (laughs) Anti-fascist. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, No, he's getting, he's he's making a deep cut right here. Okay. Okay. Um, Yes. There's anti-capitalist Chinese jails. Okay. uh, (laughs) He invited Utah into the conference, which embarrassed all the real Pac-10 fans, by actually winning, point. and as Ryan has repeatedly reminded us, he exposed USC's one and only weakness, which is that they can't be expected to play on a Friday night away from Los Angeles against a scarlet and gray team. Such a good point, Nathaday. Uh, as we all know, it must be Larry Scott's fault. The alternative requires believing that DirecTV is entirely correct in low-balling Pac-12 football uh, because it's just an inferior market product and that even if Jimmy Sexton were the commissioner, the league office could never fix the 20 years of structural decay which the Pac-12 flagship schools have done to themselves with their idiotic coaching hires and unreliable fans. And who could be that delusional? I think he's, I think he's making a big, big point there. Hitler Day, I love it. It's great. It's great. I, uh, I'm, I'm, I think I'm, I'm. I'm like I'm like midway between you and and Hitler Day here because I think Hitler Day is making the strong point that kind of what I was saying earlier that you know we, we got to blame the schools for some of this stuff. Yes, but no, I agree yeah. with you too. It's not all like certainly things start at the top. You would like the the conference to to aid the schools, but the schools have shot themselves in the foot many times too. So it's not yeah for sure. All right, uh, ASU football. This is from Christopher. Uh, your extension number was messed up. Oh crap! Oh no! So well, you were you were high on stuff, so it doesn't matter. Um, well, I mean, it, it might mean like the it's not working, so I need to. Oh, uh, should we check that? Maybe we should check that. Yeah. So, what are you it, do? well, if you call it and it doesn't work, please email us. Yeah. Actually, could could all of you try to call it and leave a voicemail and then let us know if it doesn't work? I, I think Thanks. he did email us and call it didn't work, but okay. Yeah, yeah but I, this is one person. We don't know if maybe there it was user error. You know, we got to yeah. test this out, and we don't want to call it. Um, <laughs> great season, guys! Thanks for the content. You have asked for people to comment on the ASU coaching change. I emailed earlier in the season after the Washington loss. At the time, I never thought of Todd getting fired. Now that he is fired, I want to discuss my thoughts on it. Very risky. Why fire a coach that is winning? All I saw with the Herm Edwards pick was a big gamble. ASU has lost coordinators pretty much every year under Todd. I'm not surprised. Todd Graham fired? Yes. I like all of the coaching changes because I believe in the program. I think that people as greedy as Anderson and Crow know money and will try their heads out to compete. Try their hearts out to compete, sorry. Uh, ASU uh, tried some ambitious greediness when I was a student five years ago. Not sure why they need to stop now. Crow claimed it was to benefit the university, but I feel like that was a lie. It was about money, son. That's why I trust he will make the most profitable sports program at ASU prosper. Crow can make Anderson roll some long shots and take credit for his successes or fire him if he fails. Either way, Crow wins, and he might elevate the program to the big time. Well, hope is a thing, and I think you should have it. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, there, I don't think there's any reason not to be – I mean, he was a coach before. It's like all the things we make fun of. 
I mean, he did. You just justified a Pac-12 Power 5 hiring with he was a coach before. You know, it's not like they hired a clown. That was beautiful. That was gorgeous. I loved every second of it. There's reason. You know, if you're a fan of ASU. There's reason to believe what? (laughs) That he has coached before? Yeah. He's been on sidelines. He's co- the <laughs> army. I mean, not the army. The Under Armour game. He's been coaching that once a year. He didn't even know what a uniform looked like. He didn't even know what a modern uniform looked like. Did you see the chaos now that Deion Sanders is the head coach at whatever side he coached the Under Armour the Under yeah. Armour game? I didn't watch the game. I don't know what's going on, but I, I'm assuming it was chaotic without Herm Edwards. They, I watched one of the practices and they mentioned no more Herm Edwards. They have uh, Deion Sanders coaching that team. Oh, so, yeah. I mean, I'm sure it's just, you know, a huge vacuum of power at the top. Yeah, it's oh, got to be. God. I mean, it's got to be chaos there. So, I would bet Christopher, so much money that this is not going to work out. Christopher, so much money. Okay, it's the Pac-12. So here's wh- why you should have hope. These schools screw up all the time. Like, yes, ASU screwed up, but it's all about scale. This, maybe it works out better than some people think, and other teams screw up a little bit more than, than expected. And, you know, who knows? It's, it could work out well for ASU. I don't think it will. Dave doesn't think it will. Many of the human beings with over a 75 IQ don't think it will. But hope is a thing, like Dave said. <laughs> and it could <laughs> it could happen. It I kinda, springs eternal. I kind of want it to. springs eternal. Hope isn't a plan. Like, I, I love that saying. Like, it's definitely not a plan. Like, But there's, to be fair, there is a plan here. Now, we think the plan is idiotic. And doesn't make much sense, but there is a plan, and this is what they decided to do. So, you know, sometimes crazy plans work. Uh, you know, we if you watch the A team that they have crazy plans every week, and they always seem to work. So maybe that's it. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I guess we got to move on. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, this is quick. Anthony, he said, "Hey, no, it is. It's not." Oh. It's not quick, but read it. Hey, Ryan and Dave, at least there's less words for me to read, so that's quick for me. But he said, what are your New Year's resolutions for yourselves and each Pac-12 school? Thank you from Anthony. Crap. Oh, God. That's not I quick. don't do I don't do New Year's resolutions. You don't? Do you? No. Not, I've no. done some before. Like My buddy would do like no drinking in January, and I've done that a few times. That's um, not a year resolution. That's a new month resolution. That's true, but it's like one of those things you start the new year. Like a lot of times, it's like a very cynical approach to the new year, right? <laughs> like, oh, I'll, I'll stop doing this thing. I'll white knuckle it for four weeks. <laughs> Try fifty-two. All right. I Try you like were life a, improvement. I thought you weren't a resolution. resolution. You weren't a resolution guy. I, yeah, no, that's why I don't do it because I know it's unrealistic. But oh. geez, a month, my god. Yeah, I'll usually do something like. I don't know. I'll try to like be in better shape or something. But I, yeah, I don't like, you know, change my life on the, the new year. I'm usually like working in San Antonio for the stupid army bowl practices and stuff. So yeah, I, I spent my new year's like in a hotel room with Gerard Martinez, my, you know, recruiting writer. And so it's not while well, my wife was like in Hawaii. So like, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't the greatest start to the year. Romance was alive in San yeah. Antonio. All right, so should we do it? Let's go. We'll do our power rankings. I guess we'll do reverse order, and we'll try to pick a resolution for each team. If we can okay. hopefully, hopefully we think of something funny um, without spending too much time. Okay, uh, Oregon State. 
don't have a head coach leave the program eight games into a season. Yeah, I would be, you know, if if I would rather if the coach decided I would rather leave twelve million dollars on the table the table than stay here and coach another few games, then yeah, that's that's not the environment you want. So yeah, just... be be as as nice and welcoming as you can to not have that happen. Yeah, like, he literally walked away from twelve million dollars rather than coach right your, your team. Yeah, uh, that's, that's bad. Uh, Colorado. Mm. Um. It was tough. Like, do you want to go, you know, legal marijuana direction? Do you want to go? Um, I, I, okay, so what What do we have in the Pac-12 now? Colorado, pot's legal. Washington's pot's legal, right? Oregon, is it? I don't know. Is California legal-ish? Yeah, it's, now it's it's legal-ish, like as of the first. Well, actually, nothing nothing is legal anymore. Oh, oh yeah. because the, the, Because Jeff Sessions has decided to move back to the 1980s drug policies um boy this is tough because we're not good at this <laughs> well, sorry, um i would say maybe something with montez like you know like montez has to be like he was in 2016 like when we saw him you know the resolution to just him be the, the, their resolution is to fix Steven Montez. Yeah, like get him back to what you saw they've, on TV. And they've hired the South Carolina quarterbacks coach to get that job done. Yeah, that's a good resolution. Cool. Uh, um, the defense got to play better too. Mm-hmm. Let's see. Okay, uh, California. Mm. They already got a big one with like the school helping them pay for all their debt. So like that's like <laughs> maybe like don't add any more. <laughs> Be, no. be better about managing your finances. <laughs> yeah, in, no more in debt. 2018. Yeah. 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 Stop asking your parents for money. Yeah. No more debt for them. Okay. Uh, UCLA. Um, just stop being a total damn <laughs> joke for once. And you, you, nice start with hiring Chip Kelly, but just, you know, you recruit at like a top 15 level all the time. Maybe just start playing like it on occasion. That That'd be fine. I think you gotta win the Rose Bowl. Like, you know, that's a resolution, right? Like, it's Dave. Dave needs to see one of these in his life. Is it a New Year's resolution as a three-year plan? <laughs> like, what are we talking here? I want my my partner to see UCLA, the team he covered, the team, the school he went to. Oh, sorry, it, sorry. I, I promised people I wasn't going to be snarky about UCLA. <laughs> now that they hired a Chip Kelly for at least one calendar year. So, yes, the resolution is to win a Rose Bowl. Or well, okay. The resolution is to appear in a Rose Bowl. I want to see him win a Rose Bowl in your lifetime. I want to see that. Like, has that happened? <laughs> well, 1986, that was in my lifetime. Okay. All right. So that's good. So it, was, it was two months into my lifetime, <laughs> but it was in my lifetime. All right. Uh, Arizona. Mm, to hire a head coach. Yeah. And I would like, maybe not have like a triangle of trust or whatever you know maybe not like decide title nine doesn't exist in your school stuff like that or at least in like your football office yeah like yeah it shouldn't have like its own rules of of it shouldn't be like a separate fiefdom like it shouldn't be like a an independent nation with different laws as it apparently was yeah under red dude what if like what if like khalil tate transferred to ucla with chip kelly would that be crazy yeah that would be crazy nice 
Uh, Utah, <laughs> stop winning your bowl games. Like, what? What do we want to do? Um, no, win the win the damn South. Like, you're the only team that hasn't done it. Win the South. Go a year without replacing your offensive coordinator. I like that. That's a really good one. Yeah. Um, okay, we got a few good few good ones for Utah. Uh, ASU. <laughs> <laughs> Don't hire any more talking Invent heads. Invent a time machine. <laughs> Invent it. And either go forward a decade or back like two months and don't do the thing you did. Yeah. Um, it's, it, yeah, it's rough. It's going forward. But uh, yeah, I would say, yeah, that's good. Time machine, I'm going to go with because there's really nothing else we can do going forward. Uh, Oregon. Um. Make sure Mario Cristobal doesn't leave after a year. Or they've had a lot of one-year things. Ensure, ensure that Mark Rick stays at Miami. Yeah, for at least another season. They have to get rid of like the one-year things, like one-year quarterbacks, one-year coaches. Like stop the one-year things. Like no more yeah. of those. I, I think their big ploy should be to make sure that Mark Rick stays at Miami. Okay. Because otherwise, dun, dun, otherwise dun. Mario Cristobal will be on the next plane out. Dang. All right, uh, I think there's a lot for this one. Uh, Washington State. I would say focus more energy on FCS schools, the Apple Cup, and your bowl games. Fix, fix whatever needs fixing with the offense. Make whatever tweaks you need to make, but fix whatever needs fixing there. Um, that's like a real one. Yeah, that's a real one, but... <laughs> That's that's the that's the thing that I gives me more long term pause about Washington State is the fact that the offense did not play well this year. All right, uh, Washington, uh, make Jake Browning do push ups so he can throw the ball. <laughs> uh, yeah, make him <laughs> make him just bench a little bit, like just a, a little. Um, see if he can. You know, his New Year's resolution is to get into the top. Six of Pac-12 quarterbacks. Nice. Um, well, a bunch of guys left, so. Maybe. He's got a shot. Uh, my resolution will be to not make fun of Jake Browning anymore. It's been, you know, but it's hard. It's hard not to. Um, we have a whole nother year. Stanford. Um, New Year's resolution for Stanford. Play the best players. Um, just I don't know. Keep doing what you're doing generally because this is still pretty good. I don't know. But when it comes to those like weird decisions that are stubborn just that you don't, make, don't, don't make those. Do, do all like do like the ninety five percent of good <laughs> things you do and stop doing the five percent bad right. things. Because the five percent bad things are usually like really like baffling bad. Yeah, like really bad. But all the other just stuff is so good. Burned by ten at the beginning of a season and then starting a clearly inferior quarterback for like five games this year. Yeah. So don't do the bad things anymore, but do the good things, David Shaw. Right. All right. And then USC. Hmm. Hmm. Fire clay help. No, <laughs> is that, is that too much? Is that too Maybe much? I, much. That? I would say like make some changes to the coaching staff. It seems like most schools are. And USC is not. 
So I like mine more. It's just fire. That. USC fans, sound off. Do you like mine or Ryan's? <laughs> um, yeah. He went eleven and three. Won the Pac twelve. You could fire. <laughs> he he's he's he, he won the Rose Bowl last year. Won the Pac twelve this year. Yeah. And uh, and there's like, what percentage of the fan base would be like totally totally super cool with him being fired tomorrow right now? Forty ish. Yeah. That's Prop, a lot. It's a lot. That's I mean, a, there's that's a, a yeah. lot. That's a lot for a dude who's lost like what is it five games over the last two years? Yeah, I I, I would guess it's like it would. I I think it's pretty high. Like you know, there's definitely some that wouldn't. But you know, yeah. okay. So I know UCLA hasn't won a Rose Bowl in your like rememberable lifetime, but at least I you've got this. No idea what I remember. All right. Yeah, maybe you remember when you were two months old, but yeah, because you're a smart dude. The, the, Despite what we sound like here, I know you're a smart guy. Um, you, at least you got to see another Los Angeles school win a bunch of Rose Bowls in your lifetime. So that has to be something, right? Like you get to, like that has to help. I love that you're just throwing out that raw meat to your subscribers right there. Like, oh, you, you guys say I don't push back enough, so here it is. Here it is. Uh, yeah, that was good. That was fine. I'll take it. I'll, 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 I'll sit here and take that. I don't give a shit. Uh, I'm not mad. I'm not upset. I'm done with this. Um, <laughs> All right, but I think uh, yeah, I think fire Clay Helton will be my New Year's resolution I like for USC. It. Okay. Um, what's up next? Do we have any more? Oh, do we? What's our time at? Uh, we are probably too long. <laughs> Two <laughs> hours right, and twenty is... minutes. I think we're too long. All right, we're at, we'll do this last one. All right, Earl in West LA. Okay, uh, uh, guys. Just saw the Utah versus Washington replay, and Jake Browning do something I did not know was possible. He actually led his team to a come-from-behind 33-30 to victory, proving once again that every dog has his day. My question, during this game, there were several questionable officiating calls, which, as you know, is a typical for a Pac-12 game. It made me think about Larry, Squat, Larry Scott's quest for football parity instead of national champions. Do you think the officiating practices are part of that plan? Perhaps it is just an unintended consequence. Why else would USC consistently, from year to year, receive more penalty calls than their opponents? That I would push back on because uh, Pac-12 teams all are, like, leading everybody in penalties. UCLA was doing it for a number of years. Oregon did it for a number of years. Now USC, I think, is getting the bun end of it. But it's every team in the Pac-12 gets crushed by penalties. Um, even when USC has been the best team in the conference for the last two years, they had 203 penalties to their opponents, 153. Let's face it, Larry Scott could fix the officiating if he wanted to. Your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I think we've talked about it a bunch. But, yeah. yeah. He said, Happy New Year to a dynamic duo. Nice. We're a dynamic That's duo. Us. That's us. I think it's more like, I think it's definitely more incompetence. Now, I think there was times like when USC was on their run and Pete Carroll would point out that USC was the most penalized teams in the conference and their opponent was always the least penalized teams. Like that's statistical like anomaly. Like that shouldn't happen. I get that. Like maybe they were trying to do, but I don't think it's that way now. I think it's more about just general incompetence, but I don't know. I didn't know that was a thing with the USC teams under Carroll. It was funny. Yeah, it was like that. I mean, they won seven, whatever. They went to seven straight, you know, uh, BCS bowls or whatever. But yeah, those that was the thing he was pointing out and they couldn't give him an answer. Like, it's okay to be like the most penalized team, but if your opponents are always the least penalized team, then that's there's something not quite right there. But I, I don't think you're seeing that kind of thing going on now. At least I don't think so. But Oh, I want to... I- 
I, I want to read the beginning part of the next thing. So, Zach, we're not going to get to your questions just because we're like at two hours and 30 minutes, but I, I do want to read his first sentence. <clears throat> hey, Ryan and Dave. I'd like to submit a formal complaint about the P's complaint about David Woods. If they want constant ball washing, I believe Dan Weber writes a weekly, qu- weekly column. <laughs> just saying. That's wow. A, dang. That's some straight fire from Zach right there. Zach, nice one. Um, dude, Dan is like, I don't think he's a ball washer. He's make, I mean, he talks shit about the coaches like constantly, like the point where people don't like it. They're like, I know. Yeah, we get it. You don't think the coaches are good. Um, but you know, and and they shouldn't complain. I would, I would, I would not call Dan Weber a ball washer. No, I would not. Um, but yeah, there's, there's people that are going to not like Dave on the, the, the P, but I think I've tried to defend him as much as I can. And I don't think... <laughs> as much as, as is reasonably <laughs> able to be expected. No, we, I mean, we, we obviously have a really good time doing this and you know, it's not like it. Yeah. I, I, I think we do a pretty good job of it. I, I think a lot of the people on the P think that too, but there's going to be some people that just are not going to like, you know, someone that covers UCLA, just like people on bro. There's going to be some people that just don't like me because I cover USC. Yeah. Well, obviously. Yeah. Duh. Oh, and me, me pointing out that, you know, Dave rooting for the local Los Angeles team winning the, the Rose Bowl, they're not going to like that, you know. So they're, just, you know, they're getting nitpicky about stuff. I know. It's weird. It's strange. It's, it's yeah, they, they get sensitive, these yeah. guys. And some of the USC fans don't like that Dave would say that, you know, uh, Sam uh, Darnold has. Sam Darnold washes his hands in bacon grease. <laughs> Like they baby. don't like that for some reason, and it's weird. And how did you know that? I was gonna say, <laughs> like, he has baby got, hands that emit like, <laughs> like so, so, somebody responded to me and it was like, "Do you have something personal against Sam Darnold?" And I'm like, "No, this is all in good fun." And then I'm like reading him over. I'm like, "Well, these do read like I might have something personal against this poor kid," and I don't. No, they're just fun jokes. Just having a good time. Well, but he yeah, will get no, he will get his hands measured at the combine. So. I I am like desperate to find out that he has like seven and a half inch hands. <laughs> like the, the combine results come out seven and a half inch hands plus like, right, baby right. oil you, are emitted you, from ducks in the parts of his. Hands. <laughs> when you shook hands with him after interviews, did your hand like go around his? Like I need to know. <laughs> I don't remember. Like were you touching? Were you touching the pad of your thumb with your fingertips <laughs> when you shook his hand? <laughs> Uh, no, I don't think so. Um, and, and did your hand like was unable to grasp it because it kept sliding off? <laughs> okay, I have I have freakishly, um, this is real, like baby soft hands. Like people will call me Palmolive sometimes. Like they are like like I've never done a day of work in my life kind of hands. Like it's the weirdest. <laughs> like most of the girls I dated, like my hands are softer than them. You know, it's really strange. And I do, do like your, I do. Do your hands excrete baby oil? Like. <laughs> Somebody else we can talk about? It's weird. I don't know. I don't know why. I've just had like, like I could have hand modeled, I think, for a while, but I don't, you know. Yeah. I don't know. So it's, I wouldn't be the best judge because my hands kind of slide off everybody's. So, you know, maybe be like super frictionless if I shook Sam Darnold's hands. I have no yeah. idea. <laughs> Neither of you feel a thing. It's just like, it's sliding across each other. Yeah. Yeah. All right. This is great. This is a great conversation. I'm enjoying it. Right, so you know we're two and a half hours in. Um, <laughs> I, 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 wonder, I texted my wife. How long ago did I text her? Like we would be done in about an hour, which I thought was. Oh no, that was like 
That was 44 minutes ago. Okay, so I'm pretty good. I, I really, I was like, I wanted to say like 15 minutes. I'm like, now I'm going to say an hour. And it, like, that was much closer. Yeah, much, much closer. Cool. All right. So we'll, uh, we need to get Jason Shear on to talk about the Arizona situation. We'll get to the rest of your questions. I actually tried the voicemail and it does work. So, um, it's up on our website, but if it's, it's 641 715 3900 extension 734. 972 you dial extension hit pound and that should work so unless i i heard the voicemail i didn't try to leave one so um if you try to leave a voicemail it doesn't work you know let us know but yeah you know let us hear from you Uh, we would love to hear from you you know send us a voicemail the tweets are great we'll uh keep sending them out and uh we should be i don't know if we want to do it early next week or middle next week or something dave like now there's not really any kind of uh yeah yeah, let's Schedule. get back towards a Monday. So maybe next week we do like a Wednesday, and then the following week we do back to Monday. Okay, that sounds uh, that sounds good. But yeah, again, apologize for not having as consistent of shows over the break. It's just been a little crazy with the travel. But Dave and I are both back in our respective homes, and we should be able to to, to knock more of these out. Uh, we'll get some guests on if you have ideas for that. Let us know, um, and we'll you know keep sending in the questions. We'll we'd love to hear from. Them. So no more games to talk about. We understand that they were one and eight. They were pretty terrible. If you want us to change the name, keep sending suggestions. Dave had some really good ones. And uh, I guess I'll wrap it up. So that's David Woods. I am Ryan Abraham. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast of champions. And we will, <laughs> we will talk to you next time.